up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This is episode 66. Uh, this was going to be an Ask the Chief episode with me and Chief Bob and a friend, and then it morphed into this other thing. And uh, because we were talking about detailing primarily with our buddy Tony, um, he's been a detailer and now he's a rating, I think, specialist is what they, I forget. He says it in the podcast. I forget what they actually call it, but. Um, he's the guy in control of well, like what billets end up on my Navy assignment and stuff. But it morphed into this kind of a thing where it's like, it, I don't know. It was kind of a joke. And, um, and so chief Bob really wanted to name the episode. So you wanted to go to Norfolk. So that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was a fun conversation. It was, I've always wanted to talk to a detailer, try to get, um, some perspective on how some of this stuff actually works keeping in mind that Tony hasn't been a detailer in a while. So some of the processes may have changed, but he shared his experience with us and, and the viewpoint that he now has from the position that he's in. Um, it was really fun catching up with him. He's a guy I served with and put through the chief season. Uh, so that was really cool. And then uh, he is then like, so like I'm kind of a little ahead of him and then he's a mentor to chief Bob and they both know each other. So it's kind of a cool little triangle where we all met independently, but we all know each other, small community. It's uh, kind of how submarines works, but uh, very fun conversation. It's a little on the long side, but you know, sorry, not sorry. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Check it out. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'm supposed to run this cause it's mine. So yeah. Um, <laughs> well like every episode I generally start with a quick bio. Everybody knows chief Bob. Say hi, Bob. Hi. So Bob's here. Uh, y'all know him. If you don't go back to the first, ask the chief, uh, and you can hear all about it. And then we got another friend, Tony, with us today that we both mutually know somehow, separately, independently of meeting each other. Say hi, Tony. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> and then just give like a short bio of like your experience and background real quick, and then we'll get rolling. All right. Well, uh, so, yep, like I said, my name's Tony Felix. I am a senior chief radioman, now ITSEW. <laughs> uh, been in the Navy 20 years. Uh, I've actually, I've only done one submarine tour. I've done a couple shore tours, and then I've done a couple special projects tours as my sea duty. Uh, I'm currently at my second tour in Millington at Navy Personnel Command. I'm, uh, I used to be a detailer, and then now in my second tour, I'm a placement coordinator slash rating specialist. Yeah, yeah, and so that's kind of the. I mean, we'll talk about everything because that's what we do on these Ask the Chief episodes, but. Bob's got a bunch of questions queued up to go through the detailing part of it because I think it's something that a lot of people it's it's like there's a bunch of mystery to it. It's like selection board processes, which we kind of talked about before we recorded, where it's like I, I when I jumped in, I heard you guys talking about selection yeah, board yeah. briefing of a sailor, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that's kind of the same thing. And that is one of the most popular episodes I've ever published was the one on uh, chief package preparation submission, right? And it's because I got a uh, retired CMC that we, well, me and Tony know him well. Um, the he got him to give me a bunch of gouge because I haven't set a selection board yet. I'm hoping too soon, but it, uh, on kind of like what he could disclose and kind of confirm or dis like uh, debunk like a bunch of the tribal knowledge crap that goes around between all these first classes that are board eligible freaking out about submitting their package and oh my god the paper clips in the wrong place or I can't staple stuff or is it on the right paper and it's <laughs> like dude I was I was trolling message boards looking for all that stuff when I was like a six seven year first class submitting LDO packages and trying to get ready to make chief like I was on these message boards I was on all this other crap and some of the information that you're seeing people it's like why am I listening to a first class 
tell me these things anyway unless they got the information from someone else. But it's like, it's just the type of stuff people freaked out about and, and like just the telephone game happened in a, in a big negative feedback loop and it just turned into a bunch of people freaking out for no reason and not reading the instructions and actually getting the, the accurate information. So same kind of thing with detailing. I feel like a sailor, you know, we go into the detailing process for the first time and nobody has any idea what's going on. Nobody knows what to do with their hands. And now we're changing the name of everything again to my Navy assignment from CMSID and, like a lot of the processes have changed, but the tribal knowledge never gets updated. So it'll be fun to talk about and ask those questions of somebody that knows what's going on. So, yeah, yeah. As a uh, kind of a quick aside on that, I did. I'm kind of bummed I couldn't do it. I did the interview with somebody who sat or who was a recorder on the board, yeah. on the selection board. Um, and the the problem is that she swears like a sailor. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she knows what she she. I mean, she told me some stuff. There's a couple of things that she was unsure of if she was supposed to say or not, right? Um, because you know they have NDAs and there. There's a yeah. that cloak of secrecy. But I I spent about an hour editing it, and I think I got. I mean, it turned out to be like <laughs> she could say like six words. Dude, that's how the <laughs> that's how editing the episode I did with Wayne from the Reactor is critical. That's what that was like. I, and we talked about it ahead of time. Like, hey man, try not to curse because I told iTunes I wouldn't. And then it just it ten seconds in, it was like over. I was adding the timestamps on Zencaster. I'm like, I can't. I'm not. I I'm just gonna go. I, like through this and forensically edited it at the end. I I just no gave. Way. I just took it as knowledge that I got, and I'll I pass yeah, it along yeah. where I can. And and but, sure. but honestly, like the the one big takeaway from that is that uh, everything she said was no different than ninety percent of the rumors that I'd already heard. Yeah. Like her big takeaway was like just make sure you read what it says in the letter. Yep. Like make sure this package is good. Make sure these forms are good, you know, like yep. sections, whatever yep. through whatever. Yep. She's like, just, just make sure that stuff's good. And her yeah. basic thing was like, if you didn't get selected, it's either because, you know, there was 20 spots and there were 20 people better than you. Yeah. Or you didn't follow the directions and you, there was something wrong with your record. Like yeah, the and I'm only looking, two reasons you don't get picked. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting behind the curtain, uh, hopefully soon, so that I can update that episode. Because I kind of, I've been asked about it, like doing an update, and I'm like, I don't have anything new to say. But I, I, when I sit aboard, I think I'll have a way different perspective on it. I'm gonna ask a yeah. lot of questions to an annoying degree to get the in, <laughs> not not just the insight that I want, but also like the very explicit these are the lines you have to color inside of talking about the stuff outside of the board. And then it'll be your um, first and last time you're invited. Probably. And then also, <laughs> um, the, it's like, I've heard a lot has changed since those two, I think there was two different really public shutdowns of the board, especially the, I think it was the nine board that happened last year. Uh, I, I know a guy and he said that there's definitely, uh, there was a lot of process improvement based on the lessons learned from that. Uh, to the effect of, he he's like, if there was any possibility of like a good old boys, like we're gonna get our guys promoted thing happening, he's like, it's not there now. Like they've, yeah, they've absolutely stamped it all out based on how public and and uh, kind of ridiculous that case was. So right, yeah. So so, anyways, as a <laughs> uh, uh, as the six million the six Millington dollar man. Uh, 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 I'm editing that out. That was terrible. 
I'm telling you, there's <laughs> there's two running titles. I'm going with this. It's either so you want to go to Norfolk, <laughs> or That's, I like that. That's funny. <laughs> or it's uh, the six million ten dollar man. It's um, definitely not that. It's like so it'll be it'll be so you want to go to Norfolk. Period. Like a statement from the detailer. Like oh, oh that's so how I wrote it. Norf- yeah. Oh yeah. That's the but that's the title. But all right, continue. <laughs> Uh, so, so I had a bunch of those questions, right? I sent you ahead of time, but, um, and I added a couple of others. I tried to get some feedback from people, but I posted it last second and give anybody a whole lot of time on it. But anyways, so big picture, uh, I, I, from talking to you in the past, I realized the detailing process is, you know, it's cyclical, like everything else in the Navy, but if you had to pick like a starting point to end point, like how would you say like that general process works from the detailer side? From a detailer, from a detailer's point of view, we don't officially look at sailors until they're entering the negotiating window, right? So when you're approaching that 12-month mark, mm-hmm. right? In Millington, we do what we call A1 maintenance. That is, you know, weekly or monthly, we're starting to look at sailors who enter the, the negotiating window, and we're assigning codes to them, right? If they've got enough time to transfer... Are they coming off a of shore duty going back to sea? Are they coming off a of sea duty going to shore? Are, do they have a quota to reenlist? Can we expect that they're going to execute another set of orders? Mm-hmm. And if all of that kind of stuff lines up, then we calculate how many people are going to be in the window for the next cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I will tell you from a detailer aspect, I always appreciated hearing from my sailors. Right. I, and I didn't care if they were calling me. I didn't care if they were emailing me. But for me, that went a long way when a sailor was really trying to get in contact with me to discuss what was going to happen next for them. Like that was just an indication to me that this sailor had an interest in their career and where they were going and they wanted to take charge of it. Is that um, common? Because so like I, I've had a couple, couple conversations pretty recently with guys about like, a sailor calling the detailer to interact and for whatever reason they said something stupid or asked a dumb question or called at the wrong time or whatever. And, uh, the chief flipped out and was like, you don't call the detailer. I call the detailer. I'm like, what? Like I always made my guys call the detailer. And if they needed me to step in, cause the detailer's being, you know, disagreeable. It's a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> then I would, I would step in and do what I do. Right. But it was pretty, it should be pretty rare anyway um, that I have to do that. So, like, is it is it common that, like, you see detailers wanting that, like, the same thing that you wanted? You wanted sailors interacting with you, or do they expect a chief to be calling? Uh, I, so I don't think it's common at all for, the, for a detailer to expect that sailor's chief to be contacting them. Okay. Um, do, but do they but want the type that- of interaction that you wanted? I would, I would think so in large part that yes, but what you have to remember is detailers are, they're sailors, they are people, right? So everybody has their own, um, you know, their own mentality, their own way of doing things and their own attitude, if you will, right? There's some people out there that anytime they get a phone call, it is an inconvenience to them, (laughs) right? And Right, right or wrong, I would say that those people, they, it was probably not a good idea for them to come to Billington. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's, but, I was you know, curious. For like, me, what I'll the... tell you what, when, when yeah, I was the yeah. detailer, I literally, I, I 
took on the mentality of I am the sailor's advocate. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had to involuntarily select people for orders they didn't want every month that I was there. I, I'm, there's a lot of pissed off people out there. Don't get me wrong. But what they don't realize is I literally, I waited to the last second possible. I did everything I could to get people where they wanted to go. It's just that, you know, there's not always desirable billets out there. Right. Um, yeah. But Somebody's I mean, I fought to the nail for the sailor as often as possible. Cause I yeah. always felt like when you look at, when you look at the detailing process and you look at the way the Navy's doing things, it's very much a business. It's very much a transaction. It is very, there are a lot of advocates out there for commands to get sailors, right? To get their bodies to meet mission requirements. Well, yeah. who's out there really battling for the sailor to get what they want out of this transaction? And I felt like right. it was the sailor and then it was me. And that was the two yeah. of us against the world. How know? much is that talked about in Millington? Because it seems like the way that they wanted to go with like rating modernization and then like the my Navy assignment thing and all these, I'm going to assign NECs that allow you to do like multiple jobs in multiple fields or whatever that they were trying to make it more desirable to the sailor while meeting mission requirements, blah, blah, blah. So like, is it talked about in Millington? Like, Hey, we want to, make sure that these sailors get a good experience from what we're doing here so that they, we retain them and we have enough people later. Cause it's like, I feel like when you have the conversation, it's like, yeah, you have to approach it from a business standpoint. We need the inventory to maintain mission requirements and, and fight the ship and accomplish the mission. But the only way you can do that and have an inventory of qualified people that are doing a good enough job to, to meet those mission requirements is by retaining good people. And you're not going to retain them if they're unhappy all the time and they never get to go where they want to go and never get to do what they want to do. So it's like, you would think that the two things would work hand in hand, but like how often is it talked about that way? Well, so I will tell you this, it's talked about, it's talked about a lot, you know, but mm. the real driving force behind everything is right. Can we accomplish our mission? Right. Can the Navy execute what the United States is asking it to do? Right. And that's what it just boils down to. Right. And it's just like, yeah. it's seagoing commands, right? We're going to battle to fill seagoing commands and, in the end, sailors have to understand, like, yeah. they signed a contract. You know, they re-enlisted, and nowhere in that oath of enlistment does it say the Navy's going to give me what I want. Right. Um, I, I, you will know, so you, I will say on the other side of ahead. that, though, like, it, in kind of defense of, or I guess of both sides of that, it's like the mentality that you're looking for for people to stick around, right? Because I know a, a handful of guys that I work with, right? Because obviously I work with all radio men. So most of all of them know you and have worked with you one way or the other as their detail or whatever the case. And I know one guy who is like uh, upset about where he got stationed, of course, because that's always going to happen. And somebody else was like, yeah, it's not where I wanted, but it worked out really well for me, right? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that is just up to that person's attitude of like, do you look at it as like, okay, this is another opportunity. I'll kill it here and it doesn't matter you know, it is what it is, right? Like a yeah. destroyer is a destroyer is a destroyer. Whether it's in Japan, Norfolk, you know, Washington, San Diego, wherever your other destroyers are, submarines or whatever the case is, right? Since that's what we all know as submarines. But like, it doesn't really matter where you go. Like for you, like being a CSC is a CSC on whatever platform you can kill it. it doesn't I mean, sure, 
when you get out of work, like, do you want to go hang out in Norfolk or do you want to go hang out in San Diego or Hawaii and go diving? Right. Like right. that, that plays a part in it. Right. But professionally, if you look at it, they're all just, it, it is what it is. They're all jobs that need to get filled. They're all right. opportunities. There's, and, and I kind of took some of that from Tony from, you know, over the years of working with him, but of like, there's no such thing as like a bad duty station. It's all yeah. what you make of it. You know, you can do really less, well anywhere. Yeah. I'm much less concerned about like a sailor's feelings than I am about is the, is the environment in Millington constructed in a way that like priority number two to uh, what Tony just said is that we're going to get these sailors exactly where they want to go. Cause basically what Tony was saying is the, is what I would expect the mentality to be across the board is that like, look, priority number one is mission requirements. Like we are absolutely going to detail someone wherever we need right. to detail them. It to is the military. The, right. To meet the mission requirements of the Navy and the demands that the country is making on us. Got it. Like that is like prime objective. But then if I can do, if I can do that and make a sailor happy, I should be doing that because then I get the best and brightest retained because they're happy that they got to go to shore duty in Hawaii or whatever they, whatever the request was. It's like, Hey, I got you last time. This Now I got to send you to Guam to a fast boat because that's where we need people. Right. And it's like, cause I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of times where it's like you get detailed to a place you, you want to go kind of like that. And then it's like, if you detail them to a fast boat in Guam, they're just going to be like, yeah, I get it. It is what it is. Because no matter what happens, like no matter how good all the detailers and and uh, people in Millington are at, at detailing sailors, and no matter how hard they try to get everybody exactly what they want, one, it's not going to happen all the time. And two, even if they get pretty close, there's still going to be some sailor, you know, groaning about where they ended up, even if they got what they asked for, maybe that's, they get what they, a, a destroyer and Pearl, <laughs> the wrong and boat. climate sucks. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, my detailer screwed me. You know? So it's just like, I, I, there's always going to be some displeasure in the detailing process, no matter what, because most of these sailors don't have any idea what they're getting themselves into the first time around. And then, uh, it just turns into this thing where it's the fault of this, unnamed un you know no name no faced entity in millington that screwed them over and blah 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 but is it is it part of the culture like and it, is it built into the the training like hey you should be trying not well, just jamming yeah, I mean, people wherever they all, fit on a spreadsheet so it's really a lot more about um the quality of your interaction with those people right so again you know when i was a detailer i just try I tried to give as much information to the sailors that I was in contact with as mm. often as I could. Hey, here's what's being advertised. Here's what your options are. Uh, you know, sailors would ask me, hey, what? Well, I don't like anything that's being advertised right now. What's going to be advertised next cycle? You know, and it was always just like, hey, I can't, I have no idea. Because back then, right. like when I was a, re a detailer, it, I didn't, I didn't get to decide what was being advertised. So all I could tell them is, Hey, here's what you have available to you right now. Um, you know, I encourage you to consider those options because next month could always be worse. Right. Yeah, I don't like know. Right. Next month could be better. Course. You could yeah. get, I mean, next month we could advertise five sword duties in San Diego and God knows for a submariner, that's practically impossible. Yeah. Right. But, um, I think it was, it's more about how are we treating those sailors when they contact us, right? Are we professional? Are we, uh, 
do we show empathy? Do we show like, hey, I understand where you're coming from and I want to get you what you want, but here are the restrictions that I have. And yeah. so that transparency. They, they, they really try to teach us that, right? So that way in the end, even if a sailor didn't get what they want, it's like, okay, hey, did your detailer screw you or were you not listening? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's were you something not, that... were you not willing to negotiate? Right. It's almost yeah. like, I mean, I don't want to consider, I don't want to throw it out there as like, say, buying a car. Right. But when you go buy a car, they want you to pay, you know, X amount right up front. Right. That's their right. first offer. And then you counter offer with something super low. Right. Well, I mean, mo- most everybody's not going to get their first offer. Right. Yeah. But so you got to come up a little bit. They got to come down a little. Right. And in Millington, right, you get three looks, right? That's what we say, right? You get three, three opportunities to apply for billets. And maybe there's not something that you really, really want, but we are going to give you a, for the most part, we're going to give you a number of different options. And how much is the sailor willing to negotiate with us? How much are they willing to you know, reprioritize or how much are they willing to say, okay, Hey, I'm not real excited about that, but you know what? I'll take, I'll take going to Norfolk over, take going to Guam. So I'm going to go ahead and apply for that billet. It is a bit of a give and take. And sometimes things line up perfectly and you find that, that perfect deal for you and you do get selected for it. But other times I think you have to be willing to say, well, it's not ideal, but it could be worse, so I'm going to go ahead and take that, and then I'm going to make the best of it while I'm there, like Bob said. Yeah, can you spend, and I don't know if it was one of the questions Bob had written down, but can you spend some time on, like, explaining what exactly happens, and almost like if you could download into a sailor a synopsis of, like, hey, this is how the process works, so these are the things you need to do to leverage it to best like best help okay. serve your, yourself yeah. and maybe, yeah, like, just so that because I know that a lot of sailors probably call you and they have no idea what's happening, and then you you probably try to explain it to them and they didn't well, listen. So. so so before that, only because I have like a three parter that works into that. <laughs> so the first question that I have <laughs> is how do I get hooked up with those sweet orders that I know that you're just holding on to that you're yeah, not telling anybody about? <laughs> you got those sweet no. orders to just pass out basketballs in Hawaii all day. How do I get those? Okay. Well, first off, answer my question. I'll be honest. I've always heard about passing out basketballs. I myself cannot find that billet anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Or you'd have. But I will tell you. So the Navy does have a lot of. They have a lot of great job opportunities, right? Now, a lot of those can be within your own specific rating, and there is no magic way to get those ones, right? It all depends. It's all timing, right? Mm. Is that job available? Is it high enough on the priority list? Is it yeah. advertised while you're in the window? And oh, yeah. by the way, did you apply for it? Right yeah. mm-hmm. now, there are a lot of other billets out there that you don't necessarily see get advertised when you're looking on my Navy assignments, right? Like, how many recruiting duty billets do you really see get advertised? None. Yeah. You don't, right? That's because the sailors are contacting their detailers. And they're saying, hey, I want to do something different. And the detailers, maybe they have to nominate somebody over to recruiting duty because we are required to send a certain amount of sailors to support recruiting duty, right? In Millington, we call that paying taxes. 
Um, <laughs> and there are, there are certain special programs, store special programs that we sometimes don't get enough volunteers for. So we have yeah. to nominate personnel to those. And so sometimes that's recruiting duty. But that could be a great gig for somebody. Maybe they think that is a sweet deal, you know, but they have to ask about it. Or yeah, go I was going like, to say, is that, a, is that a hard and fast rule or is it like – because basically I'm, I'm thinking back to when I went to Submarine Special Projects. My chief handed me a message soliciting a, like, or, like a, somebody for a CS1 bill. It just said, hey, we really need a, a hot-running CSS1 for, for this job. And he hands it to me. He goes, you would be really good for this. And so I read it, and I'm like, this sounds really cool. I want to volunteer for it. I call the normal CSS detailer, uh, and he's like, yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. They're fully manned. He's like, I got, I got boats in Pearl and Guam that I need to fill. And I'm like, okay, I have a message in my hand right now that says <laughs> they need a CS1. He's like, no, they're fully manned, man. And I'm like, okay. So I hang up. And then I go talk to my chief, and he goes, he highlights the phone number at the bottom of the message. He goes, call them. And I was like, okay. So I call the projects detailer, and he goes, he said, yeah. what? I'll call you right back. <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, I was released the project. <laughs> but it was like, I, I, I don't know what it, I'm assuming he was like struggling to man CS1 jobs at sea on normal submarines. And then, so he's like, well, I'm not giving anybody up because I got to fill all these billets. And, and it's like, is it, is it a policy thing or is it just like a, Hey, you know, if you, you need to give us this many people and then it just kind of happens or it doesn't. Yeah. So a lot of that just depends on the command itself. Right. So, okay. so specifically like you're talking about submarine special projects. They, so I had the exact same situation and I think we went to projects <laughs> at almost the exact same time. Yeah, right. My, my detailer at the time, he told me the exact same thing. I remember sending him <laughs> an email saying, Hey, Hey, I am interested in staying Navy, but I'm interested in going to special projects. I'm interested in joint communications. I'm interested in a whole plethora of things. Can you tell me where I'd go to talk to somebody about that yeah. stuff? And he, I was lucky. He actually responded to me, but his <laughs> response was effectively, his response was very cut and dry. It was like, Hey, uh, I get an update on special projects every month and they have nothing for you. And I'm not going to release you to joint communications and I'm not going to release you to this place. So if you decide to stay Navy, you're going to go to sea school and you're going to go back to the submarine. Yeah. And I said, okay. And I did the exact same thing you did. I knew a guy that <laughs> went to project. He gave me the detailer's number and then I never heard from my detailer again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I'll tell you oh, what, it's, I would say to an extent, it still does very much work that way. Right. Oh, um, gross. And it's not always about who you know, but it's like you said, right? There was a message that came out, and it had yeah. contact information there. And so there's a lot of uh, commands out there that are very, very specialized, and they kind of do a lot of their own recruiting or yeah. their own advertising. And so, yeah, sometimes you do almost have to be fortunate enough to come across that advertisement. Or yeah. maybe, they're, maybe they're going to an area. I know submarine special projects. They make trips. They make like yeah, recruiting trips. They go out yeah. to Pearl and they try to, they'll try to put it out to the whole waterfront. Like, hey, Special Projects is doing a brief today at this place. If you're at all interested, go to it and get the information. Yeah. Well, so, and unfortunately, there's a lot of times sailors just don't even hear about that. Yeah, they right. try to advertise, they try to put it out. But by the time that filters down to the boat, you never know what's going on and why somebody didn't get the message and share that with their division. 
Yeah. So, and so that's, what I'm... Not, that's not always, a, that's not an NTC driven thing because those specialized commands, they're kind of doing their own in-house recruiting. And then once they do get people that are interested and they want to screen them, they contact the detailers and say, hey, I want to screen this guy for this specialized position. Will you release him to me to do that? Yeah. And the detailer has to take a hard look at his community or her community and say, hey, do I have the numbers to support it? Not yeah. only that, but they have to look at what those commands are. So submarine special projects, those are specific jobs that are billeted for submariners. So yeah. when the special project detailer asks the rating detailer, hey, I want to take this radioman and put him in this special project in a radioman billet. Well, the radio, the radio detailer really has to look at it and say, well, I mean, if I say no, I'm going to keep this sailor, but eventually I'm going to have to give him somebody to fill that billet. Right. And, you know, so it's kind of a give and take like that. But gotcha. there are a lot of jobs out there. And really, I encourage sailors to, A, go talk to their command career counselor. Uh, hopefully that person is up to speed on the process because it does change a lot. And they're the only person on that boat that are that is designated to stay up on those processes. The other yeah. thing I would do is I would tell people to look at the MILPERS manual, right? Yes. And I know that may yes. sound a little daunting for a lot of junior sailors, but if you look at the MILPERS manual, mm -hmm. it's going to give you a whole lot of information on all of those, um, like those super cool, super specialized type yep. of duties that you can go to, you can read about it. You can find out who to contact and how to do the screening just by reading those Milfers man. Articles. Well, yeah, dude, I talked to a bunch of guys about that too. Like when I was a career counselor, I like, I had somebody ask me like, Hey, I, I, I like, I want to stay in the Navy, but I don't want to stay a cook. I want to cross rate. And I'm like, okay. Cause I was their chief and I was the career counselor. So I got in the Milfers man and I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's some programs in here where you can like reenlist to convert. Like it's like part of your contract. And I had everybody, including yep. the cob, telling me that that's not real, that went away, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, there's a Milpers Man article on it, and it's current, so yeah. I'm going to do the paperwork and submit it. I got two guys that, and Tony, I think you were there, but I got two guys that worked for me on that submarine that are walking around in the Navy today as a CTIC and a CTNC. They're both chiefs, and they both would have got out of the Navy if like, I hadn't got in the book, read that Milpers Manual, and then sent the package in and made him say no, because I fully expected to get a no, but I'm like, I'm going to do this for these guys and try to try to keep him in the Navy. It's like a Hail Mary pass, basically. And, like, sure enough, they both came back approved, and both of those dudes got oh, to yeah. go to CT whatever A school, and now they're both chiefs. And it like, and I'm just, you can make them say no, dude. Like, get in there, read that Milpers Man article, then start making those phone calls and submitting those packages and whatever until somebody tells you no, like, officially. Like, you get, you get, like, a message back saying no. Well, so from, from what Absolutely. I'm gathering... Absolutely. You have to make them tell you no. What I'm gathering from a lot of that, though, is that it's kind of... It's like an unspoken rule, it almost seems like, or at least a mentality. Um, because if you just did... Is at least what the Navy advertises and what you're supposed to do right. Your window opens... You go on My Navy Assignments, you see what builds are advertised, and then now you can see a bunch that are not open this cycle, but you can see what exists, right? And, and like, you apply, and that's it. Like, that's your only... You don't have as much... Um, I know I haven't been as long as the two of you, but, like, 
back when you guys started, right? And at least my first interaction with the detailer is like you, the only way you or, organize or uh, uh, hassled for uh, orders was you <laughs> called the detailer and you said, "Hey, yeah. man." This is where I want to go, right? And you, you had called this... him and hoped you were friends with him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you... hoped he liked you. Yeah, and you had that used car salesman, <laughs> yeah. you know, interaction with the guy on the phone, yeah. like you were saying earlier. And like that was the only... that was how you did it, right? And the Navy is kind of uh, modernized or 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 whatever you want to call it, right? And set up so there's a website. You go do all that stuff through the website, and you could technically not ever talk to any detailer throughout your entire yeah. career, right? You just do it through a website. And as long as you're happy and you're fine and you don't have a special situation, then you're, you're good. But it kind of sounds like what you're saying is like you, you almost, even if that's the case, you should still talk to that detail. You should still call them up or, I mean, if you feel like you need to at least and just say, Hey, is it, are we good with this? Is this how this works? Like, do you have any other secret squirrely back pocket billets that you don't have posted or you're saying that we should still call a detailer basically no matter almost Absolutely. no matter what i mean yeah and, and I've, yeah i've seen too and like, i would call I, the detailer every time right yeah. any kind of question you got don't get me wrong i don't like the idea that a detailer i never liked the feeling when i was a detailer that i was necessarily a customer service agent right yeah but at the same time, we are customer service. It is my job to answer the phone and find out what you want to do with your career, right? If you took the time to call me, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people out there who are, I think, I've, are very intimidated. And even after being intimidated and kind of real scared to call the detailer, yeah. they still gathered up the courage and wanted to call me. It is my job to answer the phone and answer their questions to the best of my ability and give them possibly can give them. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'm able to fill a job that the Navy gets to fill and I'm able to send the sailor to where he or she wants to go. If I can do that, that is a win for everybody across the board. Right. Yeah. What, um, let, let's get back to the, we, we asked the question and then completely went off on 17 tangents. Uh, like cradle to grave, like what is uh, like what would you communicate to a junior sailor who just came inside their twelve month window for the very first time and is navigating the detailing orders negotiation process and my navy assignment? Okay, so cradle to grave, I would talk to my sailors before they even hit that twelve month window, right? And I say that because all of those special programs that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. They require special screenings, which take a while. And a lot of times, for a detailer to release you to a program, they need to not already be counting on you as a roller, right? So yeah. contact your detailer. If you're interested in those programs, you need to start contacting your detailer before you hit the negotiating window. So anytime, right, okay. and then we'll say that 13 to 18-month 13 to window is really that sweet, uh, time frame when you want to start looking at those special duties. Um, if you're just fine with what we would consider like the, you know, like the normal accepted career path, right? Mm -hmm. Contact your detailer as you're entering the window, right? That 13, that 12 month window, just to say, Hey, I'm entering the window and I'm interested in X, right? Whether it's location or maybe you're interested in a specific kind of job that you'd like to have and you don't care what the location is, but you really go, you really want to work on a watch floor 
or you really want to go to a gallery or whatever it is you want to do, you know, obviously we have those all over the world. Right. Uh, and maybe it's just your, your primary goal is the job itself. You know, mm-hmm. so I would definitely say contact the detailer, just see what they have to tell you. Maybe they'll tell you, Hey, see, log in when you're in the window, see what's advertised and start applying for bills or jobs. Right. right. That's what they're called on my Navy assignments. Now they're called jobs. Right. Um, so, and absolutely do that, you know, and I would tell you, as soon as you hit the window, log in, see what is advertised and what's available for you. And I would absolutely recommend considering those billets, right? In your first look, maybe not that big of a deal. If you don't see what's something that you really want, you're not required to submit an application, right? You are authorized to submit up to seven applications per cycle now. Um, but yeah, so in that first look, if you don't see something you want, I personally, I would not recommend applying for anything. But when you get to that second look, if you have not already been selected for orders, you know, and most people are not going to be selected in their first look. Uh, but when you get to that second look, it's, it's really time to start considering what is being advertised and really start thinking like, okay, hey, maybe I don't see my number one choice. But I'll tell you what, I see number two and number three being advertised this cycle. And now you really got to start thinking, okay, hey, how bad do I want number one choice, right? Because yeah. if I don't apply and I don't get selected for anything this cycle, the next look could be my last look. And if number one isn't on there, who knows what that what else is going to be advertised. Um, and that's always that's what I told all of my sailors. I said, hey, next cycle could always be worse. Don't expect that it's going to be better um and i wasn't trying to scare people but i didn't want them to end up going to their their last possible oh my god please don't send me here choice yeah well so that's so that's an interesting thing too that um because now just at that last where we were stationed together uh just there i had three different ex detailers that I worked with, right? We had a yeoman detailer, an ex corman detailer, and you. Um and what and, and it was interesting hearing the different opinions on that from people, right? Was like uh one of the common questions is like, hey, it's my first look, but I don't really want any of these. Do I apply for it? Right. And your kind of mentality is from, from talking to you in the past too, is always like, Hey, if you apply for it, you're willing to go there. But I've Absolutely. also heard other people say like, if, if you get to your third look and that's the first time that you see something you want and that's when you apply, but somebody else has been applying three times, you know, and that's their third look at orders. And it's like, well, this guy's been trying for three cycles and this is your first time. So I'm going to give preference to the guy who's been trying to go somewhere. And, and I know that like you can have personal opinions on that, but how much is there like a command philosophy on that? Is there like a standard or is that just up to the detailer to decide how they interpret that? And it, it, that is on the detailer, right? And how they feel about the communications they've had with those sailors, right? Like then that's why I say to communicate, reach out, make a phone call, send an email. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you do get to that look, and the detailer looks it up, and you're right. If he says, hey, this person's, this person's already submitted six applications over the last two or three cycles, and they haven't been selected, and this other person hasn't submitted anything. Well, 
the question is, what kind of communication has that person who's not yet submitted an application had, right? There's, there's understanding as to, hey, sometimes you can't even apply, right? Maybe you're on a submarine who's underway in OPSEC Alpha, and we can't even communicate. Right. Right? So that, that sailor doesn't even have an option to go in and apply for he can't even he doesn't even know what's being advertised because he can't get on a computer and see what is being advertised right and there's a lot of tailors out there that are like that but that's where that's where the communication piece comes in isn't there functionality built into i i I feel like it was in cns id and i'm not i'm not gonna lie i haven't really gotten up to speed on my navy assignments since i've been back at work but isn't there functionality built in where they can just update all their preferences and then send maybe send you an email saying hey i'm going to be gone when my first look happens but this is what i want absolutely right there is when you go into my navy assignments you can go to your profile and you can set your preferences now i'll be honest with you i've done that and uh, same that so is not I. the most that is not the most user friendly page yeah. uh, to navigate. No. <laughs> uh, so I will admit that. But like just like you said, right? Contacted the detailer. Hey, I can send my detailer an email and say, Hey, boss, yeah. I am not. I'm going to be unavailable to communicate for the next three months. But I know I'm entering my window. Here are my top three choices. If something does get advertised, can you apply for me? The yeah. detailer can submit applications for you. Um, you can also work with, like, say, your command career counselor. Your command career counselor's got, like, probably a command career counselor squadron. at the ISIC. Yep, yep. You know, squadron. They can, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but you have even to be willing the, to communicate. Yeah, even at the group level, like, there's NCCs at a lot of those that are considered, like, the region's career counselor or whatever. And they primarily are doing, like, inspections on the boat-level right. career counselors and the right. ISIC career counselors. But still, it's like... If yeah. you walked up to the NCC that I work with, she would 1,000% be standing by to help you out. So I feel like um, most of my interaction with any detailer, right? Because So it's funny because even though technically at one point you were my detailer, Tony, uh, I did not speak to you ever as my detailer. I never worked with you because I also went to projects uh, during your time when I would have talked to you, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... It's it's funny because like I don't know I guess kind of what I'm what I'm getting out of it though is literally like just being proactive like the more you care about your career and where you go like the more the detailer is going to care about it right like if you if I hit the detailer up two years in advance and said like I will do anything I can to go to Japan or whatever it is right if I keep yeah. bugging you about that, when it comes up, if I'm not around, if I'm whatever, if it's not available, but I'm in my window, like you're more willing to be like, all right, this is a guy that's bugging me about Japan. Got it. All he wants. Got it. You know, that's, that's a thing. I'll keep that in mind. And that, that plays a, a bigger factor where I feel like, I think it's, it's kind of sad. I don't know. It's, I feel like it's definitely. Well, you got to just, I mean, you got to think about some things from a certain aspect too. Like think about almost like name recognition, if you will. Right. right? Like let's say, let's say that you were going to go perfect, perfect example right now. Let's say it's getting ready for election season. Right. And I'm not talking about the presidential election because obviously we all know who Trump and Biden are. Right. But like, let's say you want to go to your local city or state election. Right. And these right. people are out here campaigning 
and you go to submit your vote, right? Well, there's going to be people on that ballot that you've never even heard of. How right. likely are those people to get your vote? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Right? And so when you're a detailer and you're, and you're going to do selections and it's, it's a shore duty in Kings Bay and, oh, my God, for a submariner, that's got to be the number one choice. I don't know why. Don't ask. Gross. Right. But so when I was yeah. a detailer, short duty advertising Kings Bay, I guarantee you that was the number one. Uh, I had more applications to that billet than any other job advertised that cycle. Right. Well, so let's say I'm looking at 12 different names. Right. Which is really a, a very small number compared to some other communities that are right. out there. But I can only speak for submarine communities. Um, well, if there's 12 names on that, there's a lot of things I got to look at when I'm making selections. But when I recognize a name, I tell you what, that's going to go pretty well for somebody. That was, that was part of my question. One of my, one of my questions on that was, you know, if I, the, the example I, I used is like I, on my Navy assignments that the one thing that I really like about it now is you can see how many people have applied to each open billet that comes up each yep. cycle. Which is interesting yep. because you can play your odds on that, right? It's it's like pseudo, it's like career Vegas betting, right? You look at it and you go, okay, well, there's eight people that have applied to go pass out basketballs in Hawaii. Or nobody has applied <laughs> to this other billet and they're like, it's not my favorite, but that means if I'm the only one, there's probably a good chance I'll get it. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. So it's kind of interesting. I like the transparency in there, but... When you do have, let's say you do have eight people that pick, you know, passing out basketballs at the gym in Hawaii for shore duty. How do you, I, I mean, that kind of answers, but what, beyond name recognition, so right? So like yeah, I know on paper there has to be more than that, but when you look at those eight, how do you decide which of those eight gets it? Okay, so there's no, there is no official guide on how you select your candidate. Right. So I can't tell you that it's written down anywhere for a detailer to say, this is how I will make my selection. It is truly up to the detailer. But there are a number of really? things that are presented to the detailer for them to look at. Right. There's not a book Before, of like guidelines or anything. I'm sorry to like interrupt, but there's not like a policy, even if it's like it gives you lines to color inside of, but leaves it subjective. Kind of. Is there not a book that says this is how you detail? So, well, there's a there's a book, and there's there is actually a PQS on becoming a detailer. Okay. But there's almost nothing official in the PQS that says what is the proper way to make a selection, right? There's Not nothing that like, says how do you how do you select the best guy out of the five applicants. There's really Not nothing even like that says guidelines that. or anything. Well, there there are certain things in my Navy assignments that will that you know that will kind of show hands. up like kind of like, like there's green and red lights and yellow lights yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. That, that. that the system is trying to tell you, Hey, this is a good candidate or this is not a good candidate, but right. it, nothing actually says, wow. you know, it's not like grading a package. Right. But right. I will tell you, so before we even get into the selection cycle of the phase, you know, selection phase of the cycle, right. Um, there is a command comment phase, right? So the commands that have billets advertised, right? That, that shore duty in Kings Bay 
that command can go into my Navy assignments and they can take a look at all of the applicants and they can right. rank them and then okay. they can put comments. And those are not, those are not like the 100% deciding factor. They are input to the detailer, but I'll tell you what, they do carry a lot of weight. Um, okay. You know, but there's also a lot of other things that the detailer sees, right? The way my, and especially now, um, sailors should be aware of what the detailers are, are able to see about them because my Navy assignments now has actually created a resume page for them. And that, it's going to show. I was just say that's that's one of the questions that I had to. Uh, it it kind of follows up with it though, but that that does help a little bit. Was like. <clears throat> let's say like I really want to go to the O'Kane because I really want to work with Jay Bell because he sounds like an awesome command master chief because he's all over Facebook and yeah, whatever, does. right? Like I really want to go work with this guy or for him and I want to go to the O'Kane. And so I, I go out and I, I track him down on Facebook and I say, Hey man, this is where I want to go. And we talk and he says, cool, apply. We've got an open billet. Like he wants me. I want to go there. So I apply in the command comment phase, like you were saying, he goes in there and says, I want this person, but like a, a, what do they see? Well, like, how does, how does he know that it's me applying and how much weight does that carry? Well, so nowadays, right. With the new, with the way MNA came out last year, when they changed to my Navy assignment, it is no longer anonymous. So when they look at applicants oh, and, really? they, and they open up those resumes, they're going to see who it is that's applying. It's not yeah, just right? a resume. So they're going to see the thing. I just did a right? but They're, they're also going to see other there. attributes of that sailor, right? So they can see what type of NECs you have. Maybe they're looking for specific uh, technician NECs or, mm. you know, maybe some type of managerial, you know, whatever the case is. Um, so they're going to see NECs. They're going to see some eval history. They don't see copies of your email, so they're not really reading the remarks section. But they can see, okay, hey, were you a were you a three point eight, you know, must promote or you know whatever it was. Maybe you were a four two nine EP or whatever, you know. So they're going to see those types of attributes. Um, and then there there's also a section in the resume where a sailor can put things in there, like they can type in this section. Um, additional information about them that they that may not necessarily be readily available but it's like hey i'm a submariner i'm qualified duty chief and chief of the watch as a second class that's probably pretty important to put in there now there really is no way for a detailer or even a command to actually validate that qualification so we do have to expect that sailors are being honest when they are putting these things in their resume but Mm. um so so the command, and then the command gets to rank everybody that's average, that's at, applied for their billets. Hey, this is my number one. This is my number two. This is my number five. Um, and then the detailer will take a look at all of that information, and they'll make the de- the decision that they feel is best for the Navy. Now, sometimes, sometimes that number one choice doesn't always get selected, but that's sometimes also because they're not within the business rules, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we have to make sure that E5s are filling E5 billets and E6s are in E6 billets. You know, we can't always put, you know, there's a lot of first classes out there. will say, Hey, I really want it. I want that second class billet that's in King's Bay just because I want to go to King's Bay. Well, right. and uh, 
don't get me wrong, what kind of command in Kings Bay is it going to want that first class, right? You know, but when it comes down to it, it's like, no, I need a second class to go fill that job. So maybe the command's not going to get their first choice because a first class applied for it, and that's who they made it their first choice. And it's like, no, I need a first class to go fill that first class job because now it's time to prep that person to become a chief petty officer, and they need to be filling an LPO-type role. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of different things that go into making that selection. But, you know, in all reality, your record should speak for itself. Um, command comments do make a difference as long as they're being realistic. And, you know, and then sometimes it is kind of what is the best choice for the Navy, right? Maybe you are maybe you're only six months away from your PRD and this job is already gapped. There's nobody there right now. And so maybe you're the better choice at the six-month point than that guy who just entered the window and is still a full year away from transferring. You know, that, that, that guy who just entered the window could be a better candidate with regards to other qualities, but maybe we need that job filled sooner than, you, than they can get there. And so those types of things get taken into account as well. So and then far. there also is, you know, there, there is kind of that tiebreaker sometimes yeah. where it's like, hey, this one guy submitted a bunch of applications. This guy hasn't, right? But do I know why? If the guy that hasn't submitted applications has not even communicated to me either, then how do I know why he hasn't been negotiating, right? And so maybe I am right. going to lean towards the person who's applied. Or maybe I am going to lean towards that guy who's called me six times in the last month because he is that interested in his next position. I'm about you know? to and pissed, so, man. <laughs> This, uh, hey so man, there, there is, look, there is I, a human factor. I'm with human you. Human factor. I'm with you. But here's the thing. Like, there's always going to be a human factor. However, I also, like, if to the extent that is possible, and I know you can't micromanage every, every human factor that qualifies into every process that we do, even, like, maintenance on subsafe systems, right? But... There, I, because I'm asking, like, is there a is there a book that has no joke criteria for how we select somebody? No. When we when we do the resume, can we even validate the information? Even though if somebody would have put five seconds of thought into it, they could have pulled data directly from INSEPS, which is effectively validating the inputs. No. So then the command comments, it's like, okay, well, yeah, that's but the so, command. so hold on real quick, hold on real quick. So for submarines, people that watch and duty chief are not in INSEPS. They could, they can be if they're under if they're local. Added, but they're not, if you have yeah. a good yeoman, <laughs> right? They're not. If you, but and they're that's not another... they're right, just I'm under you. your local falls. I'm search. just. I, you can put them in locally, and what I'm saying is like, there's a way to do it. It should be built into incepts. That should be a thing the yeoman just do locally because there isn't functionality built into incepts. And we could talk about the stuff with yeoman that doesn't happen the way that it should on submarines and why admin gets screwed up and and like that's another that's like another tangent but yeoman your dirtbags not i love you guys but it's, <laughs> it's not their fault incepts doesn't have the p like more than just pqs's but there is functionality built into incepts to put that stuff in there and it should be required however i'm just saying i'm looking at the way the system is constructed and I, it doesn't feel like there's any concrete like procedural limitations or just criteria or whatever. Like there's not a construct there. It's all just subjective and it depends on if you have a good detailer or not. That's what I'm getting out of it. And I'm not like, I'm not mad at detailers. I love you guys. 
no, I mean, my, but, my uh, Taylor is one of my one of my buddies, and I love him. And it's just it doesn't Guam. feel like you guys are provided a, a like a quality construct and like good solid policy driven direction to do your jobs. Like, am I missing something? No, but I mean, think about it this way: we were both, all three of us, were just talking about how awesome it would be to go sit aboard and why you want to go sit aboard, right? right? What, so what construct do we have right now that says, hey, this is what's going to make you a chief petty officer? I mean, I don't know. The ladder, the ladder, the precepts, like, I totally agree with you that, that it is super but, vague. But, how, but, but those people that are deciding when they want to press 100 now, there's nothing that really sits there and tells them. But I think there is and i have you sat aboard tony like before i continue because i haven't no. and i know bob hasn't so the i the what i has been you shared with me. me what if you're 12 <laughs> what has been shared with me is that there is there is grading criteria but like they don't disclose it obviously and so it's like when they're scoring a package they have like it there it's broken into categories and it's like you have a certain amount of points like conceivably 100 i think but it's like there is criteria, and obviously there's always going to be a subjective piece of that, right? Because there's going to be – like that's the only reason they fly those guys out there to do the selection boards is because there's got to be some type of evaluation and, and, and decision-making that goes on based on the criteria. But when we're describing the detailing process, at least what I'm getting from, from your explanation is that it doesn't feel like you guys have a construct like – where where there's criteria and there's like thou shalt do the following but then there's this subjective area that a qualified expert at the command and then a qualified expert in millington get to use all that stuff that was fed in to make a decision it feels like there's sort of like this weird gray area construct like like my navy assignment from what i understand kind of got rolled out quickly and it like it feels like the the rough sketch is there but like if if a sailor can just go in and say that they're qualified Jesus and like and I, then the command's looking at it going oh a third class qualified dive let's pick that guy to be a cook on watch in Kings Bay like it's it it, it looks it, it feels a little weird to me that like that that's there's not because I'm a book guy man like and and I when especially when I encounter a job or a process or a duty that I've never done before and that I'm not familiar with the first thing I want to see is the book like where's the book, even if it's just like text, like a textbook, not like someone, I don't need an MRC on how to detail somebody, but I'm saying like, is there not like a, a personnel detailing guide that like a desk guide that tells you guys like, Hey, this is, this is how we want to shape the force. And these are the criteria you should be evaluating. And this is how my Navy assignment's going to help you in doing that or whatever. And here's a flow chart that assists you in blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like it just feels really fast and loose There's to me. There's there's yeah. there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of guides for detailers on how to do their job. Yeah. Um, but I cannot think of anything specific that would tell a detailer how to make selections. Now detailers do a whole lot more than just make selections, but you know, so wow. they have guides for everything else, like on how well when it comes to writing orders or how do you okay. handle uh exceptional family member program right how do you uh, handle sailors yeah. who have efm and or dual mill for them to go yeah. or multi you know, spouse co-locations there's a there's a lot of different things 
even when it comes to writing orders, right? Are we authorized to write people to transfer that's not necessarily the month of their PRD, right? We can use a plus six, minus six window. So there's a whole bunch of other things out there, but there's really nothing specific with regards to here is how you um, so, rank the people so, that have yeah. applied for billets and select your number one, you oh, know, right. great the way I'm taking this then at least like I, I understand uh, uh, your frustrations as far as like, no, there is no like guidance that I can look at and say you are contrary to, or this is exactly what I need to do. Or there's, there's no document that explains that. Right. But also I, I very much understand the other side of it where there is no, there's too many variables to be able to document that. Like that document would be absurd. I don't think that's true, man. There's, I don't think that's true at all. I, I well, think because I so here's I'm not the catch, right? You got to cover every eventuality. No, but what all. I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that I feel like what's happening is that you're actually empowering the detailers to do their job, and you're you're trusting them to do what's right and to not you're you're and I get that that's a rosy eyed or rosy glass scenario rose right rose colored glasses that's the word but you know what i mean you're you're hoping that the detailer is going to be this objective bastion of hope and and they're going to take all these factors in and there's going to be no personal emotion in that and they're always going to do the right thing but i mean it is i i understand that's the way the navy works with things right everything is very black and white everything is very this is your position this is not you right but in that job, like that job doesn't, wouldn't function I, the way my... it could or the way it does. So it would be, it would be a worse position that you would get a worse product. I don't think that's true at all. I'm, dude, I, I'm sorry. I'm coming out of my skin over here. Like, really? This is, yes. Like, so if we're saying that you can't write business rules for a detailer to detail a sailor, I'm throwing up the BS flag all day and running a full court press on destroying everybody that says that out loud. And the, all, all I'm saying is that there's got to be something in writing so that let's say for, for me, I know let's, I know next to nothing on detailing. I'm CSS one Timmy and I'm on my way to Millington. When I show up, I had better be handed a, a book that tells me these are the ABCs of detailing. And Tony said there's a PQS. So I'm sure that has a lot of the stuff captured on it. And maybe I'm missing something. And if I was handed the PQS and it had references I needed to review and I had to get those signatures that like, I'm going to step through those things and come out the other end, prepared to detail. And maybe I'm overreacting based on not being aware of it and having experienced those things. But like in a, in a vacuum, if we're sitting here saying that we can't write a book, that's a, like a desk guide. And I'm, again, I don't need an MRC for detailing a sailor. That's not what I'm asking for at all. And I fully expect that, a, a E6 or above, and I think there are, from what I understand, I have like on the, on the surface side, CS detailers, like there's second classes that they're doing it too. So if I'm detailing a second class there to be a E5 and below detailer, like you'd better believe that that kid better have some lines to color inside of and some supervision and some kind of QA process. Well, and that's all I'm saying is that there should be a desk guide or well, some yeah. type of book so that says, without, here's the lines you color inside. And without, yes, I do expect you to be subjective and make judgment calls and do all of those things. But there's going to be some hard and fast lines so, that we don't cross. And here's why and blah, blah, blah. So let me be the, the devil's advocate without also being the detailer on that. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, Tony. Now, how do you factor in? You've got the, the sailor who's set, who sends one email 
and says, I'm getting underway for deployment and I'm not going to be able to get a hold of you. Right. But I'd like to go to San Diego. And that's right. what they send you. Right. And the second sailor has called you eight times that week to say, or that month or whatever, and said, I see San Diego. What I will beg, borrow, and steal to go there. What do I have to do? His chief has called you. His his CMC has called you. You know, God and country have all called you. Trump has called you and said, send this guy to this billet. He is the most amazing sailor. All, I would... all other factors being equal, right? Yeah. How are you supposed to fact? How are you supposed to weigh those things in? Right? There has to be some sort of personal. There has to be some sort of what? like uh, not not even personal, but like professional positional authority that goes into how are you going to decide that because you can't, I, I there's agree. no mathematical formula that says i'm not saying i need a mathematical formula and i agree that a professional judgment should be should and could and will be made because that's why i'm paying a detailer to sit in that chair what i'm saying though is if you have sailor a and sailor b all things are created equal one sends an email that says i'm operationally committed to doing god's work at the tip of the spear so i can only send you this one email and so that's the only communication you get but then you get a dog and pony show from Sailor B who's able to communicate and God and country are calling on his behalf, but all things are equal, then they're effectively equal because all you did was get a bunch of comms from that sailor who's able to c communicate and people advocating on his behalf. Like, how do you know that if Sailor B, with because all things are equal, wouldn't be having that type of advocacy if his command wasn't underway on nuclear power doing God's work? So what I'm saying is that that resume thing, like, how, how are we looking at that as a document that presents to us an accurate de depiction of the sailor if the sailor can just go in there and write that he's a superhero in his free time? I saved a bus for <laughs> nuns on my way to work. I got a spot calm for this, and I'm basically Ninja Rambo Seal, and, and everybody loves me. Like, how, and I'm not saying that that's happening, and I'm not saying that that runs rampant. I don't even know if it's ever happened and somebody has been able to substantiate it, but the fact that nothing is feeding that document and it doesn't get verified by anybody, that's what I would affect. Well, that's I mean, what I so, would the the so the document is built, the document is 90% built for you already within my Navy assignment. Right. It pulls those attributes already. It's going right. to show eval averages. It's going to show the rest of that stuff. There's a small remark section that's in there. And okay. I will be completely honest with you. I am not a detailer now, so I cannot truly speak to how the detailers are using the resume. Okay. I'm just saying that that, that that resume is out there that people, you know, the detailer or the gaining command who's got that billet advertised, they can open up those resumes and right. they can see that stuff. And absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I agree. There should be some way to validate what a sailor is putting in that remark section. Right. Um, well, but, there, you know, there is, though. Uh, like, and, 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 and there could be, right? There could be a way for the, depending on how deep in the weeds people want to get, right? Maybe a gaining command says, hey, I know somebody over there. I can ask those questions. Obviously, if they're on a submarine and that submarine is deep doing God's work and they can't communicate, then nobody's going to be able to answer the question. But um, I think we do we do have to we do have to expect that people are using a certain amount of integrity. And we to some extent, we should expect that if they are lying in those resumes and they get a job based on what they said they were qualified and it turns out they're not. 
that's going to reflect on them. Repercussions there yeah. are, but there maybe there is a good chance there's going to be repercussions well, to that, right? Sure. Maybe that person gets ordered to that command, and then that command finds out, and they're like, "Whoa, hey, we selected you based on this, and you can't even do that." Well, yeah, we're, you're going to have a really rough three-year tour, right? And I think that we're fixating on the details of like that we use to navigate a conceptual conversation. Like what I'm what I'm fired up about is the fact that it feels like there aren't clear boundaries yeah, for there, there's no fair, yeah, you're, yeah. you're more worried that there's no grading criteria for applicants. I or, will, I will say that something, I will right? say I'm not that saying it's gotta be like this perfect infallible, like you follow the flow chart, assign values, add them up. And then this sailor beats this sailor. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. I'm saying that it just doesn't feel like there's anything based on the description. It's all just sub completely subjective. So well, it's like, how do we not sit here? Like, basically, how would I explain to a sailor that's not selected for the orders they want, and maybe they know the sailor that is, and he's he's a piece of crap and blah. Like, how do I explain to them? No, really. Like, it's like talking to a first class not selected for chief. Like, how do I sit down with them and hand them the precepts and hand them the the advanced manual that talks about selection boards and hand them the, all the things that I have available to me and say, no, look, I obviously I can't tell you everything. But what I can tell you is that the way this works is they grade you out, they rack and stack everybody, then there's a conversation where some of the subjectivity pieces are, are discussed, and then people vote. And that, so it's like, it's a pretty fair process. Like, I'm not saying that there couldn't be some human error programmed in, and there probably is, and there Here, probably still is, but here's one thing that, how do I sit down and have that conversation? I, one thing that I think that we are getting hung up on that is uh, specific to... A, us being submariners that I don't feel like applies to a majority of the rest of the Navy is things like, and, and I will say that some of it is on the commands, right? And, and again, I can be way off on this, but um, when a command advertises a billet I'm, and they say, hey, I want this NEC, right? I need a, a whatever. I need some OS with this specific NEC, right? That's what they need. So that's an easy check, right? Like, like Tony already said, your record is already going to pull up and sh it's going to show you at least what NECs you have, right? Got it. Submarines, yeah. very specifics. There is no dive NEC. There's no chief of the watch NEC, right. right? That'd be absurd because there's way too many platforms. There's nothing common about any submarine. Um, but even if you were to say that, right, this guy's qualified X, Y, and Z on a submarine, we know what that really means or doesn't mean. And you can fudge that because of the world that we, the three of us know and operate in. But outside of that, I would feel like the majority of the Navy, I feel like what I mean is like, I feel like we're the exception to the rule and we're the ones that are screwed up. So when a Navy, when the Navy says, when Navy. a, when a surface ship says, Hey, I need this, I need a, a second class with this NEC. And that's what they're going to post, right? And it shows up in my Navy assignments, and people apply for that. The people with that NEC are going to apply for it, or and then a few that don't who want that NEC or whatever the case is, right? They're going to apply for it, and you're going to look at it, and the, the non-submariner-specific detailer is going to look at that, and it's going to be a little more clear-cut. I feel like the Navy is a little more cowboy, or the submarine fleet is a little more cowboy with some of those things that we tend to care about. Yeah. As opposed to the rest of the Navy where things are a little more clear cut, right? Like on the in the, on a submarine, right? Like being the chief of the watch of the dive is a hundred percent not tied to any single rate whatsoever. Right. The only rule of thumb 
And even that's a rule of thumb that you can use, as far as I know, is that it won't be a nuclear trained person. That's not, yeah. I you could have a new you could have a new qualified dive. Yeah, it's not common, but no. like my, my but there's last nothing EDMC saying you couldn't basically a step for EDMC and he was a genius and yeah, there's nothing saying Yeah, there's nothing saying you couldn't, right? Like it wasn't he was good at it too. Like uh, when uh, on my first boat, one of our three dives when we were still uh, we were doing six hour watches, whatever, right? One of our three dives was our chop. Yeah. And like yep. that's a random that lieutenant or I think he was a JG at the time, but whatever, right? That's a random officer. Yeah. That's not even like, and he's one of the three dives. And then one of the other three was the second class A ganger. Yeah. Back then. They, so like, uh, how do you, you, you yeah. can't even justify <laughs> like that. That makes no sense. Right. Like, how do you, yeah, there's no, there, I mean, there, was, you, there was a qual card, so but there wasn't a PQS. There's no NEC. So how is the, you can't reasonably, ex, my point is that you can't reasonably expect a, a submarine specific detailer to to dig into that sort of level with every single person because there's not that many hours in the day however i feel like my point more was that i feel like that's a very submarine specific argument where i i think because i'm not a surface guy i think that most of the navy is a little more uh, cut and dry with a lot of those things, right? You're either qualified this or you're not. Most of the Navy works on PQSs, uh, works in yeah. CTQS, works in all these uh, different programs to standardize these things. And we're a very non-standard fleet by definition. Um, and so because of that, we have a lot of weird ULIs that may apply to us that may not apply to the 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 surface, you know, HT detailer. Yeah. Well, ahead, so Tony, what you have to think, though, right? So, so the way billeting works, right, and the way that commands are built and what their manning documents call for, their manning documents don't say anything about qualifications on board or what watch needs to be stood, right? So, right. from a detailing <laughs> aspect, right, from a detailing aspect, we're not looking to see, hey, this this submarine needs a chief petty officer. I'm not looking up to see if that chief is qualified chief of the watcher dive. He is right. a chief of the officer in his rating, and that is what they need on board. Now, right. when he gets to the ship, it's their job to make sure that he gets the qualifications and the watches they need. Yeah. So we are not necessarily grading on watch qualification criteria, right? I mean, really, when you think about well, from a detailing aspect, a lot of the criteria that we're looking at is more – and you're not, you're probably not going to like this either. But what makes a candidate? But what makes a candidate the best quality ca or the best candidate for a job? Sometimes is again, it's PRD. Can he get here sooner than that person yeah. can? But that um, I get. What is the that's, but that's what wicked is the cost one to the navy. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. is the cost to the navy to move this person and their four dependents across the country, or is this other person already in area? Um, yeah. Again, it's more like is an E five applying for an E five billet? Um, do they does this person applying? Do they have an EFM? Am I going to force them to move and have an effect on the medical condition of that family right. member? Right. Um, can this person screen for this billet? Right? Maybe this person wants to go to this this billet in Japan, right? But they have an they have an EFM, or maybe they had a bad eval within the last three years that would prevent them from screening. So it is right. those types of guys that detailers have 
to make the selection, right? To well, try to make sure that whoever they select actually gets to that place because they were able to screen for it. Um, so that, so that, maybe, I mean, so there are guides, but there is no, like, there is no specific, like you said, kind of like, there's not necessarily a grading sheet when all things, when mm-hmm. all other things are equal and on paper, they look just as good as the other. This guy's got the yeah. AC, they're on the, the same PRDs, their evals look similar. How do I make that decision? That that does become very subjective. But I will tell right. you as a detail, I would expect if, my, if, if that sailor's chief called me, if that sailor's uh, Cobb or command senior chief or command master chief called me, that also sent an indication to me as to the quality of the yeah. sailor. Because I'd like to think that a Cobb or a command uh, yeah, master chief, I go, chief, they're not picking up the phone on somebody who's not really yeah. worth a phone call. Yeah, I, I go I was, back and forth about that in my head, though, about like reality versus it, what you would like yeah, to think that like, everybody's I under, doing. I would expect no. I, I mean, I would expect it to mean something if that guy is willing to pick up the phone. But it's like, it's like, should it should it necessarily be even possible for that to happen? You know what I mean? Because I feel like. That guy could unfairly swing the vote if you just got this quiet kid that's been murking it the whole time he's there. And, like, yeah, Cobb likes him, but he's not. Maybe the demand signal wasn't provided for the Cobb to pick up the phone and do that. Because, like, I'm 100% the dude that is going to pick up the phone or is going to walk into my Cobb's office and say, hey, can you pick up the phone? But, like, maybe he didn't have a chief. Maybe he had a chief that wasn't the type of dude that's going to walk into his Cobb's office and say, can you pick up the phone? So it's like there's a lot of variables that can affect whether or not that guy picks up the phone. So I, I don't know, man, it's like, that's no, why there, I'm like, there there. Are. And, and don't get me wrong, man, maybe that's where our system, maybe that's where our system has its fault, you know, it, yeah. it, and every system does, you know, and every selection process does have its faults or have its biases. And if there are ways to improve it, you know, b- by all means, find a way to share them. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we, we may not always know that difference. You know, but we have to take the information that's provided to us and make the best yeah. decision we think we can yeah, for I, the Navy. My frustrations are not even close to being in the vicinity of hung around the neck of of detailers themselves. It just sounds like hot, whatever big Navy department, like, I don't know what it would be like. Navy it almost sounds like whatever, you're... like why there's not a book. Like it just, it just. It's... I can't get past it in my head. Like, yeah, obviously. Well, I think the thing is, what you have to remember is like, it's more of a, we have to do things from a human aspect because if there was a book, right, if there was a specific grading criteria, there wouldn't be a detailer. They could just plug that into computers and computers would do our detailing for us. Yeah. But we're acting like there, we're acting like there can't be a book and subject subjectivity in the same universe. And I don't think that's true. Like I'm saying that there should be business rules. And it sounds like, to an extent, in certain areas, at there least, are. there might be, right? But, I like, how, well, how I can't so sit here's, down and... Here's an example that, that I'll give yeah. that, like, just from previous talks from people, right, that, that Tony may have not have made totally clear in this conversation, at least. And I could be way off on this, right? But when you talk about the different rules, right, I feel like it may not be a specific rule, but there's going to be... Uh, there's a lot of other, like, tertiary rules that all coalesce to to providing one document right it's not just one parent document it's like five other references that you have to follow right like Mm -hmm. is this person following the seashore flow rotation do they meet the right uh you know are they an e5 applying for an e5 billet or are they going well i 
really I really want this yeah, pill, yeah, even yeah. though it's meant for a chief, right? Are they in the same wicket, right? Because like he said, you have to or in the same uh, AOR, we'll say, right? Are they yeah. going from Hawaii to Hawaii because that has some some weight to it compared to somebody going from Kings Bay to Hawaii, right? That's a bigger travel distance, more money, yada yada yada. And as much as you don't want to admit it, that's it's a real thing. It is the Navy, right? Um, but all of those factors, like I feel like those individual things are written. That's what I guess. That's kind of there's my just question. not they're just not combined into one like is like they... instruction. Are they all written down and are they all enforceable across all the codes or am I going to get a different experience detailer to detailer? Because like, even though it was a long time ago, I got sent from Hawaii to Groton, Connecticut, and another guy got sent to King from Kings Bay to Hawaii, even though I applied while I was in Hawaii on a boat to uh, NSSC Hawaii while I was there. And I'm like, oh, I just got to show up to a building instead of a submarine because I wanted to stay there. And instead, they shipped me from Hawaii to uh, Groton and a kid from Kings Bay to Hawaii. And it was from everything I could tell at the time, it was cause the kid that was in Kings Bay was used, was one of the detailers guys like on his boat. And I'm just, and NSSC Hawaii screened me, interviewed me, sent a message to the detailer saying, Hey, this is the guy we want. And then I got orders to Groton. And so I'm just like, it was a long time ago. I'm sure the process was different, but the point being it is all that stuff like in a document and it's policy, or is it like, it's just like a kind of like a tribal knowledge business rule. No, no. A lot of that stuff is a lot more policy these days. Okay. And what you describe, I mean, obviously we'd have, I'd have to ask even more questions to get down yeah, to the nuts and, and bolts. Yeah. But it was a long time ago. What so you sure the, the experience you had, like you said, is a long time ago. And so the process itself has changed a lot in that right. probably almost 15 years since that happened. Yeah. Um, Right. So the, the system has changed. The policies have changed. And there's a lot more guidelines out there written, you know, and then there's there's also just certain things like, hey, when was the billet advertised? When was it select? You know, when were you guys selected for these billets? All this kind of things. Right. The priority of the billet does take, you know, does take precedence. Yeah. Um, you know, so there, I don't know. There's just a lot of things. And yeah, I mean, I can't I won't always be able to look on a piece of paper and tell you here's why this detailer selected this person over this person because right. there are too many other factors in there that I would, that people would have to look through. And then again, with all things being equal what, you know, then how do they make that decision? Yeah. And you, you'd have to, you'd have to get that directly from the detailer. And there's just way too many variables out there to know, you know, how they made that exact decision. Right. You know, Is there, so, is, Again, it's almost like I said. I mean, I understand the board does have precepts and the board yeah. do have all that kind of stuff for promotion. But in the end, right, and this is what I tell everybody that's going up for advancement selection board, you can follow all of these kind of guidelines and what are the precepts saying and what is this. But in the end, the big question is what is your competition doing? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and it's almost like that in the selection process. What does your competition look like? And yeah. there, you know, there's a, there's a definitely a possibility that there is a better candidate out there, but it doesn't always. It's not always because that candidate had a better eval, right? It may be better yeah. for the Navy because of a spouse colo, right? So maybe that right, person wasn't right. even very good at what they did, but they got the job that they got <laughs> job selected because they because the Navy had to meet a spouse colocation request or requirement. Yeah. So, so people are not going to like to hear that answer. 
Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I, you know, get, but I get that, it. That's part of the, the, the harsh fact of human resource management, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so, so a couple yeah. more questions, then. We'll go back to something more uh, objective. <laughs> <laughs> as objective as detailing can be, at least, apparently. Uh, so I know somebody is transferring from, you know, I'm a, a radio chief on shore duty, my PRD lines up with the radio chief on this boat on this waterfront. And that's where I want to go. I, you know, it works out perfect. I'm the, I'm the great candidate and my order window comes up my first cycle. and I'm ready to go in there and just hammer down on, you know, press 100 now on me going to this boat, but there's no billet there. But I know that that guy is transferring. I know he's leaving. I know he's gone. How do, why, why don't I see that billet there? How do I not go to that boat? I know that they have an opening. I know that they need a chief. Yeah. And I want to go there. Why doesn't it exist? Why can't I apply for that? All right. So with the new My Navy assignments, I believe you should still see that billet or that job when you do your job search. But it's closed. Now, the way it works now is the job is closed, right? It is not open for an application. But they need right? and somebody. And the reason for that, they need the me. reason for that, absolutely. But the reason for that is there are other submarines out there who have a need for you as well, and they are higher on the priority list. Right now, I will tell you, in submarines, yes, we, we've already alluded to it. We do things a little bit differently. Um, but here's the way I do it. I am in my position here. I'm the guy that decides what billets do get open for applications every cycle. And it is my job to take a look at every job requirement out there, right? Every boat that needs a new radio chief. I have to look at all of those jobs that need to get filled and I prioritize those. Now I get inputs from every TICOM that we have and they tell me, here are the priorities for my AOR. And that's not just for the sea duties. That's also for shore duties, right? So there's TICOMs that are for sub-school, and there's TICOMs for, you know, um, try, uh, Trident refit facilities. There's TICOMs all over the place. And I'm getting right. emails and inputs from them that are telling me, here are my number one fills, right? And they go through the whole gamut of all of their rates. So specifically, like for me, I personally, I handle weapons department ratings for submarines. So FT, ST, MT, TM. And so when I get those emails from Subland and SubPAC and Netsy and all these places, they're telling me, here are the top priorities for all of my ratings. And so I take all of those inputs and I kind of mash them all together to develop the priority list. Now, at the same time, when I look at all the jobs in my Navy assignments, my Navy assignments kind of ranks them itself. It has an algorithm that runs in the background, which tells me, according to my Navy assignment, this is the number one priority, and then number two and number three, and all the way down to the bottom. Right. Uh, now, like I said, as submariners, we can't always follow what my Navy assignment is telling me as far as the priorities goes, because the way the algorithm is written, it will put BNs over you know, SSBNs would go straight to the top of the list where fast attack submarines would go down closer to the bottom because of what their mission requirements are like. But right. I also know that, hey, that fast attack that has a, a, a that needs a radio chief in December of this year 
needs to get filled sooner than that SSBN that needs a radio chief in June of next year. Right. Right. And again, with ICOM input, I take all of those inputs, I match them together, and then I take a look at what I think the priorities are. And I personally, I call each one of my detailers and I tell them, hey, what time do you want to sit down with me to set my Navy assignments? Because you know what? The detailer has a lot of very valuable input as well because his or her priorities are the sailor's priorities that are out there. So they're going to try to tell me, hey, I really want you to advertise this boat because I got a sailor in the window who who wants to fill that area. Right. You know, so, and don't get me wrong, sometimes like maybe the boat that you want doesn't need to get filled until like September of next year. It's a full year out. But that boat that needs to get filled in December of this year, they're going to take priority. So that's what's going to be advertised. Right. And yeah, would I love to get you where you want to go? We we always want to do that, but we have to we have to fill the need as it comes through, right? And then those those high priority jobs they need to get filled faster because they're higher on the priority list. So then, so with that, then uh, I know a common thing that. I was not too familiar with until I uh, took over as the A school chief, right? We get uh, students, you know, however often they graduate, they go out to boats and it's like, cool, you're going to Hawaii or you're, you're staying here in Groton or whatever. Right. Um, but uh, I, and I don't know what it stands for and I probably should. Right. But when you get wept to another boat and I don't know if it's a submarine thing or if it's other fleets do the same thing. Right. But guys will show up yeah. to a boat or students or sailor, you know, guys, girls, whatever. Sailors will show up to a, an area. They'll go to Hawaii and they think they're going yep. to the Hawaii. And they get there and squadron goes, yeah, we're, you're not really going to Hawaii. We don't need you there. We need you on this, this boat instead. And you're going to go there instead. Right. And squadron has that ability yep. to reassign all these people before you even get there. And it kind of cuts. Yep. I look at it as it cuts your legs out from underneath you and, Maybe I'm wrong on this, but it, and my thought is it makes your job harder because would, yeah. the whole point is like yeah. your job is to decide where they go. And then they show up to hates it. Yeah. It happens a lot here. Yeah. I mean, it, I feel like it, it probably happens on every waterfront. Yeah. And it's not something I've dealt with to the extent that I've dealt with here where people will be dead set. Like I'm going to the Indianapolis and I'm like, yeah. well, you at least know you're going Are to you? that. You're going to that waterfront, but yeah. <laughs> you know, squadron's going to decide where you're going. And it's like, well then what's the detailer doing? Like, why don't you just, de- why don't you detail to squadrons and let the local squadron decide where they need to go as opposed to, or, or what does that take for you for the squadron to, interrupt that flow and decide they're going to one boat compared to the other or how does how does that work like how does that affect you or interrupt you or what is that what's what's that process okay so you are right so the 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 process used to be called web right and now that stood for web enabled placement portal right and all that really was was it was a website that manning monitors for those specific areas could go to and submit a request. Hey, I've got this sailor that's on his way to the Hawaii, but our priorities here are more to the Missouri. So I need to go fill the Missouri. I'd like to send them there instead. Mm-hmm. Now that process, right? That's a request that gets sent and it goes back to NPC. And then we provide 
you know, recommendations, you know, and we are effectively the approval process for it. That's the system itself has changed and now it's called a PMAR, right? Um, it's a manning action request, right? Placement manning action request. Okay. Uh, and effectively it's the same thing, right? So when you look at everything, right? So here in Millington, right, we control all of the billets, right? But every, every location has a manning monitor specific to that area that may be a little bit more aware of what the needs are like. So right. when we look at things, we see it on paper and we say, oh, hey, this, uh, we'll say an A school graduate because you're over at sub school, right? So an A school gra- graduate gets orders to the Hawaii. Well, why did he get orders there? Well, it was a top priority billet. And, you know, maybe that was based on the field date. Maybe the guy's graduating in September and the Hawaii has a need for that A school graduate to show up in October. So it looks like a perfect fit. Right. Well, what we they don't know surged. is that, yeah, you know, what we don't know is that, yeah, the Missouri, they just found out that, they, that they're getting surged and they got to turn around. They go on another deployment here in December. So they need the extra body, you know, to get there, maybe be able to qualify a basic watch station and then support the deployment. Or maybe they had an unplanned loss of a sailor. Uh, maybe a sailor had medical problems and had to go limited duty. And our system doesn't necessarily reflect that right now. But before that sailor checked into Pearl Harbor, the Missouri has lost somebody, and now they have a higher priority need. There's a whole multitude of reasons that a sailor will get what we call diverted as they're on their way to a location. But 90% 90 of the time, that sailor's probably still going to the same location. They're just going to end up on a different submarine than they were. Right. initially going so they're still going to make it out to pearl but they are going to end up on a different boat right yeah, just because that boat has higher priority needs that we could not foresee when we wrote the orders and that's what i've told uh, uh again submarine specific thing right but when i talk to the a school students here when they uh a couple of times they've gotten calls from somebody or they call up their squadron they go hey i'm going to this boat you know my order said to call you so i'm i'm doing what it says and and they go, yeah, no. And somebody calls them back and says, yeah, you're not actually going to that boat. You're going to go to this other boat, and here's why. And 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 there's usually like, you know, I've I've never seen it just because like, wow, they just don't like people with the name Tim. You know, it's like there's a good justifiable reason as to why they're doing that. And that's I I usually not sell it because uh, that sounds like I'm I'm lying about it. But like, it is a good thing if you're going to fill those billets, like. If that comes up and you think you're going to, uh, you know, the Hawaii and you go to the Missouri because they need you, if you show up and do well, then that looks awesome because you're the hero that showed up that wasn't supposed to be there. And now you're there saving the day. And and I feel like that that looks better. Right. But but there could be things like I really want to go to uh, I want to go to San Diego because I really want to go to uh, the America because I don't know, it's just why there couldn't be a cooler name for a ship, right? Like you want to go yeah. station on the America and you show up and they're like, yeah, well actually you're going to be part of the decom crew for the Essex. And you're like, well, that's not what I wanted at all. Like, I mean, I get that that's an unlikely web, right? Or, or PMAR or whatever diversion, right? You're not likely going to go there because of that. But if that were to happen to be like, well, the only reason I wanted to go to San Diego was to be on that ship. Like that's all, that's the reason I applied. I applied for the America. I didn't apply for San Diego. So I feel right. like it kind of, 
you know, and that, and it depends. And I, and, and, and that's a lot of that is just kind of explaining to the sailors, like, uh, you know, like the triads only list, right? Like say, say you really want to go to the Ocane right now. It pops up. You've been all over Facebook and all over the, the, the leadership groups. And you just see like J bell posting everywhere. And you're like, I want to go work for that guy. I want to go to the, the Ocane. You, it pops up, there's orders. So you go to the Ocane and by the time you get there though, the guy's going to be gone. Like he's been there for a little while, like, you know, rotations in the Navy exist. And, and so then you get there and you're like, well, that's, that's not what I wanted. Right. But like, so I guess it's, I feel like it's more, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it's, I don't know if that's a submarine specific thing that exists or if that, that happens across all fleets, but I feel like no, that's a Navy wide process. So I feel like then at knowing that then at least I feel like that's, it's more of, it seems less important that the command is listed and that it feels more important to me that the squadron or the location is, is listed, not even the squadron necessarily, but the location, because I don't know how, again, I, I assume other waterfronts are pretty similar, right? But here we have two submarine squadrons, but realistically the two, squadron radio men the whole building it's all the same place right you go to the same floor you talk to the same people they work five feet from each other in a cubicle and they're deciding what your fate is right so i feel like it would almost be more important that they just said that the squadron like why is it not listed that like hey we need three you know sonar techs in in groton and then like those guys decide where you're gonna go like I feel like it's almost more of a nuisance on you to go through the legwork of deciding who's best fit for, you know, the Providence when they ultimately you're not going to really be the one to decide. Like, I feel like it's double work. Like you're going through the legwork of deciding who's going to go there when squadron's just going to override you because by the time, once they get the sailor and they're physically standing there checking in, whatever you said doesn't really matter at that point. You know what I mean? Like the squadron guy is just going to go, nah, we're going to send you here instead. No, I, I hear you. And to be honest with you, I, I, I agree with you. When I was a detailer, I, I literally did advocate for that exact process. I said, Hey, if it was up to me, I would write orders for sailors to go to specific areas. Hey, you're going to sea duty in San Diego. When you get yeah. there, they'll tell you which Right. And if I could do that, I think that'd be great. Um, now, what I don't know, you know with that, uh, with using that specific example, again, we use submarine specific examples and that makes sense, right? There's only one thing that you could, there's only what, three, four boats that you could go to in San Diego as a submariner, right? Like I'm not going to go there and accidentally be on a GN or a BN, right? right? Like I yeah, know I'm going to yeah. be on an SSN. I know it's going to be a 688. There's no Virginia's there. Like I know what I'm going to. The name of the boat doesn't is relatively irrelevant at that point. But yeah. if I don't know that and and kind of what I'm asking, and I don't know if you know at least, but if you're a surface guy, right? Like you're a surface sailor and you apply to go to sea duty in San Diego, right? You could go to a carrier, you could go to a frigate, you could go to a destroyer, you could go to I don't I uh um uh, what is the it called? MCM. Yeah. There's, there's like the rest of the Navy that exists out there that I'm not very familiar with. Like there's all kinds of stuff out there that you could go do. Right. So how do you decide? Like if you're an HT, right? Like, well, I, I only use that cause it's not like a, a, a whole specific or a fleet specific 
I mean, I guess you're not probably probably not going to go to an air wing, right? But like if you're an HD, what's to say that you go, I mean, there's a big difference between going to a carrier and a, a small boy, right? So well, that might make a difference. Like you might really want to go to a small boy for some reason and you show up and you're like, okay, well, this is what I applied for in San Diego. And you show up and they're like, well, actually you're going to go to this carrier which is not at all what you wanted. You'd rather go to Norfolk if that meant that you could go to a small, a small ship. Like how, how does, I, I don't know. It just seems weird that like some random person on shore duty at squadron gets that much power on top of. Well, so they, they don't have the detailer. power, though, right? They said they submit the request. Those requests come back to Millington. NPC will look at those requests. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the chop chain on that type of thing. When I say chop chain, that's how many people are going to look at that and yep. make a recommendation before it gets approved or disapproved. Right. And so NPC, the detailer, the placement coordinators, the rating specialists, uh, the gaining placement coordinators, all of these people are going to look at that request that is submitted by the ISIC mm-hmm. and they're going to validate it. And they're going to say, okay, hey, I appreciate your input. Now let me go do the research and take a look at at this sailor, at where he's coming from, at what command they're going to, what are the needs, what are the di- what's the manning on the division in each location look like? Right. They're going to look at all of these different things, and then they're going to make a recommendation based on the information that we still have available to us here in Millington. And then, you know, at some point in time, it may be validated, and we may say, "Hey, yep, you guys are right. Uh, maybe that was something we overlooked." Maybe that was a job that wasn't prioritized at the time the sailor got orders because, you know, things have changed in the last few months. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons that those things could change. And it is still on us here in Millington to validate that request or we'll provide a disapproval and say, hey, we are disapproving your request, but here's why. Right. Right. It was disapproved because the information we have here says, the place that they have orders to, it's still the higher priority. It's so, still a bigger need for that sailor there. So that's that's an interesting thing on my side, or at least the way I'm looking at it is, uh, even if the squadron is right and that person, that other command really needs this body more, it's almost like you're saying, it, it, it feels like a nasty gram coming back saying that you didn't do your job right. You didn't explain why you needed this person. You didn't do this. This command didn't do what they were supposed to do. So we're, we're going off with, so I, I, I mean, I take it as both ways. Like part of it is you saying like, okay, yeah, got it. Things are much more dynamic than we can update, you know, logistically feasibly here in Millington away from the, the, the situation. Like I got it. Okay. You're right. You can have this person, but then also it could be one of those, the other side of it is like, well, then you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And now this is your problem to deal with. And this ship's going to have plenty of manning and they can sort it, you know, you can figure it out later, but this guy's still going to the O'Kane or this guy's still going to whatever ship is this. It's, it's, it's not your, uh, well, I, I mean, in the end we do, we do enforce or, the the when they want to submit those those requests right there has to be a justification right and so we have right. to make sure that people are doing the right thing 
and we have to enforce them to do the right thing. You know, if let's say, I mean, the guy wants to go to the, the America and the O'Kane loses the chief. Right. right. Well, so they're calling us, Hey man, we want to divert this guy from the America to the O'Kane to go fill the spot that we just lost the chief on. Well, it's my job to look in the system and say, Hey, the chief on the O'Kane still shows as he's on board. Have you guys done the paperwork right. to effectively lose him from the command? Because there's a lot of places that they just won't do it right. And and we're not trying to, you know, we understand when there's an unplanned loss and there's a yeah, need yeah. for a fill. But we also have to make sure that people are doing their job correctly. And so that way they can show in the system that there's an actual need for a chief on the O'Kane because I can't just, I can't just say, all right, Hey, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead and take that guy because the way the system is built, there's only one position for a chief petty officer in that division on the O'Kane. Right. So how can I have two guys in that position, right? On paper there, I can only write one name in that box. And and what what happens to the other guy? And and again with that, that still rolls, you know, if that person was originally supposed, you know, the original opening was for the America, right? That person is, that's going to show up again in your system next month. You're going to have the same meeting next month and they're going to go, we still need a body. We still need this. We, you know, and you're going to go, well, we sent you a body, but somebody else intervened. And so I, I, I definitely see that, but that does leave me into, you kind of mentioned it with the amount of people that go into it. Right. So how like i apply for orders right uh my navy assignment says that i'm posted um and and i kind of dealt with this with you for a little bit right like we had some fun with my detailing um for again the second time i got tonight out of going to uh london um and, and ended up with uh ended up with the second best thing new london uh, yeah, baby. Which is, <laughs> yeah, I I will never forget that detailer, and how he said that to me the first time I got shafted out of going to London for shore duty, when he said, wow. "Sorry, man, I gave it to somebody else, even though I'd already done all those phone calls, I'd done all the right things." He had it written down in pencil, and that's why I'm I'm a proponent of my Navy assignment because I can see what I've done. Right, like I can point to it and prove to it, right? And you don't want all that subjectivity in there, so right. that you get screwed out of but he had, to London. But he had told me, he goes, yeah. "I'm sorry, man, I gave it to somebody else." And there's a long backstory with that. But outside of that, he goes, "I feel like I kind of want to hear the summary version." <sighs> I'll tell Just you a quick, thing. quick. Uh, we can do it after. We can do it after. You don't have. To yeah, yeah. So okay. he, so he hit me up with the, uh, "Sorry, I can't send you to London." but I got the next best thing. And I'm thinking he's got, he's going to hit me with like some other cool European shore duty. And he goes, I got new London. In this moment, I dislike you, but now I hate you forever. Right. And that's, that's a joke, obviously that like, is very, I hate you very specific to submariners. However, that is the worst joke ever. Um, <laughs> I, I love i loved my time in connecticut i lived I, in new london and i loved it i'm on my second time here so i can't even I feel complain like, yeah i feel like as an adult i might not like it as much but as a i was in my early 20s 
I will. I, I had a good time, man. I, I will it. say, I will say that again, both times I had been posted to go to, to London. <laughs> So it was not my first choice either time. However, I do not dislike it at all. I very much enjoy the job. It's it's there's there's a million good things. There's also a million bad things. I get it. It is what it is. Um, And but I'm totally fine with where I'm at and why I'm here. Uh, Well, not why I'm here, but I'm fine with being here. I'm not necessarily okay You're with not the why. We get it. Yeah. Uh, I will never be over the fact that I could have done. Lo- I would have been in London during the Olympics on shore duty. Like, oh. anyways. <laughs> I feel really. Bad. Anyways, it is what it is. I'm fine with it, right? Uh, was there a question in there? Yeah, I uh, think there was, and then he got distracted. Uh, I should have been in London. That's my question. Um, no. So my. The, originally, the question was, uh, I get selected for something. A part of the question is uh, me as a uh, an A-school chief that deals with people getting orders to their first command, but also just in general. Why does it take so long for me to get hard copy orders? Because the Navy won't do anything for you Funding, until you get bro. hard copy orders, right? I need Funding. a piece of paper in hand that says, Money. thou shalt. Right. I get the money part. Right. But yeah. like the, my Navy assignment, like you told me to use that site. And so I used it and it says, cool, you're going to Hawaii. And I go, great. It says I'm going to Hawaii. I did all the right things. Now I got to wait three months or whatever the case is before I actually get something that says I'm allowed to move to Hawaii. Like, what's that process? Why does it take so long? What it, what happens? It's money. It? It's uh, 90 95% of the time, the answer to why you're waiting is money. Because we only have a certain amount of money, and we don't necessarily get our money like, hey, here's money for all of next year. We get we get money here and there type of thing. I mean, I, I think in general, we get like a budget for the year. Mm-hmm. But as time passes, uh, we end up getting more money, and so... Detailers are always getting information from our chain of command saying, hey, here is what we call our release authority. So you are authorized to write and release orders out to whatever date that they provide. Sometimes right. you're only working a sometimes you're only working a couple of months out. Right. Sometimes you end up getting enough money to go four or five months out. And then when you do have maybe when you're really restricted, you're able to write money, but now we have to prioritize bill it. So it's like, okay, hey, you can write orders for for people that are on their way to sea duty because obviously sea duty is always a priority. Right. But for people that are rotating to shore duty, we don't have money that goes out that far. Even though it's like the same pot of money, we're still going to place a priority on the orders for people going to sea duty right. vice the order of people going to shore duty. Um, so, yeah, 99 times out of 100, the answer is going to be money. Is there truth the to other the, one? that you have like the ability to get a letter of intent or something like that so that they can start the process of like moving and setting things up or yeah. is that I've I've heard of it I've so, never had to deal with it. I'll be honest, I know that um so that that I know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um but it wasn't a thing while I was a detailer. So my time in uh, detailing okay. was literally 
from uh, 2012 to like 2016. Okay. So I did like three and a half years as a detailer. And we were not, at that time, we were not uh, transmitting the letters of intent. But I know that after I left detailing and went back to sea duty, that they did start doing the letters of intent. So that way that people could start planning their moves. That's, yeah. That was the big thing. Like they needed to pay yeah. for it so they could start planning their moves. Right. Um, They're hardcore to be honest, about that. You know, with, the, with the position that I'm in right now, I don't necessarily deal with the with that process. So I could not tell you whether or not we are gotcha. continuing with those. Okay. But I would always ask, like, if you if you if you have a sailor or you are a sailor that is waiting for your orders, and I would say call the detailer and ask. The detailer should be able to tell you, hey, we don't have it's funding. I'm sorry, yeah. but I only have I only have authorization to release orders through December of this year and you don't transfer till January. So until they give me January authority, I can't release your orders. And then, yeah. you know, the next question from the sailor could be like, Well, hey, I heard that there used to be this letter of intent thing. I'd really like to plan my move because I'm planning on moving my family a little bit earlier. Like I want to move them in December. Or um and then see what the detailer says. Hopefully the detailer says, yep, we can actually get you one of those. Or the detailer can say, hey, yep, that used to be a thing, but the Navy stopped doing that. And maybe they can tell you why. Or the other question that I would have with that is, am I still going there? Like I, you say that you can't, you know, I got posted. It says that I'm going to shore duty in Hawaii. I want to go diving Monday through Friday and out at lunch. And, but I don't have orders to move my family there. I, I want to do it. Like I'll wait till the last three days or whatever the case, you're going to cut me orders. But like how guaranteed am I to still go to shore duty in Hawaii? Like, is that, well, is, I would say, is that ever going to change or is it, is it just like you're just waiting on money or is there a potential that you're going to go, Hey, you know what? You're in Norfolk and we need a guy in Norfolk. So I, I, there are no absolutes. Right. in the Navy, <laughs> right? There really True. aren't, right? Oh, and, right? I mean, even when you get orders in hand, we just talked about, earlier, we just talked about the possibility of, of being Getting diverted left. by the time yeah. you check in, yeah, right? right? And so that, I mean, that exists. Or just like we spoke on the phone, I think before we even started recording, and we were talking about, oh, no, I, oh, no, I never got to his shore duty. He spent seven or eight months there, and then he got yeah. a set of orders from the Navy saying, hey, I need you to move from Washington to Connecticut because you need to go fill a senior chief position. Yeah. Right. So, so, so two there things. are no absolutes in the Navy. There is, we do the best we can to treat people right. But like we talked about in the beginning, we are a bit of a business. We are in the military and the military will always be mission first. And yeah. I hope that people can accept those. I feel like it should be. Idea. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's what it boils down to. And again, it, it may not be the popular answer, but, you know, I mean, a lot of times when we raise our hand and, and we, you know, enlist, we are accepting that those things can happen. Yeah, no, that's a that's a common thing that, that has come up a few times that I've said to people, uh, students that were upset that they're going one way or the other. And, and, and I have a, a, a million counter arguments to people being 
upset with where their orders are, where they got boat, where, you know, where their boat is or whatever the case is. Right. And I'm not just trying to use car salesmen, like silver tongue them into going to this place. Cause it'll be, you know, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate your life, but it'll be good if you stick it out for 20 years type thing. Like there's legitimately, I do wholeheartedly believe that you can do, there are good things about everywhere you would go, but, Absolutely. Um, but, uh, I, I do understand like that. I've, I've kind of made that joke before, or at least saying it jokingly was like, you know, what are the, I had a student that say like, Hey, I'm supposed to go here. What are the odds that I'm actually going to go there? And it was more in reference to during the COVID-19 phase and all that. And I said, Hey man, once you check in, then you're there. <laughs> but until then, <laughs> who knows? Right? Like, and I said it jokingly, but I also realized that it's not entirely jokingly, right? Like the Navy could change their mind at any point until you check in or like you, the example you just said, even after you check in, you might go somewhere else. The Navy needs you because the Navy, as much as we, and as much as people may not believe it, like the Navy caters a lot to what sailors want, what their families, I feel like the sailor, the, the Navy cares more about the sailor's family and they do the individual sailor, sailor, excuse me, but, um, which may or may not be true, but like, I feel like we do where there's a lot of programs, a lot of things in place where we will, and I've seen plenty of people bend over backwards to take care of a sailor because of something with their family, as opposed to them so much, you know what I mean? But which yeah. I think is awesome, and I think it's great, and I always laugh at I, I tell my wife all the time that the Navy cares more about her than they do me. But um, but I feel like that I don't think that's a bad thing, but it, it's interesting to see how that plays out uh, in the long run when somebody will say, like, well, hey, I'm going to this place. Am I really going to go there? And it's like, well, I don't know. You're, you know, it, again, it sounds terrible, but like you're a random single person. And there's another person that I know of in the area who's trying to do the same thing, but they have an EFM and they have this, they're probably going to take priority. Um, but again, there's, you know, there's a hundred different ways that you can, you can talk about that. And it really is like, I've seen people go to the most ridiculous, cheesy, shore duties not doing at all what they're supposed to do they sh you know they showed up and they were like the head of the you know burger sales association or whatever and like <laughs> they end up and i've seen like i've seen first classes i know a first class that left well both of you know him but i won't say his name but anyways he left shore duty with a calm as the sailor of the year doing not at all what he was billeted to do. He just did a lot of other things good, right? Which I know bothers a lot of people. Um, but I would say that he deserves everything that he's gotten since then. But but anyways, um, there's, there's just a lot of like, I feel like the Navy is very, uh, as much as, so I know that he, he likes to, to, everything should be black and white. And I, generally tend to agree there should be an instruction it should say do x y and z talking about me yeah 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 well i can't say <laughs> your name because you don't exist i'm not always that way I no just, but but my there point should be a starting point exactly is, is what i was yeah but but then on the other end of the spectrum is the it's up to 
the person in that position, right? Like you have the, you're, you're in that position. You, everything is subjective. I don't like this guy. So he's going to Guam. I like this person. So yeah. they go, they go to San Diego, whatever. Right. Like there's obviously there's an in-between there and there is with everything in the Navy, but I, I kind of like that there is that subjective side in some scenarios it's kind of crazy because there's definitely i just complained to you like two days ago about some things (laughs) that were that i absolutely hated that somebody did and has told me that i've been fighting with that they took that subjective of like well i'm the guy and i say no and i very much fought that but but so anyways long random rant outside of that my last detail or specific question that i'm getting questions about recently i'm getting a lot more of um that ties into everything coming up is cpo redistribution i have heard a million rumors and i feel feel like tony just rolled his eyes i've (laughs) tried no no that's a hey that's a big very very important thing i have tried to uh, explain what i could between talking to you i've tried to explain what i could based on milper's manuals based on seashore flow based on this based on that and i've had a lot of people say either i hope they're like the prime candidate like i'd be mind blown if they don't make it this year but they go i absolutely do not want to because it's gonna they're gonna send me to a boat i know it and i'm gonna get screwed out of my shore duty and i've seen other people say the opposite and how does that work how does the cpo redistribution work can you send some dude to shore or to sea for 10 years in a row etc etc so okay so um so up until about two years ago it was called cpo redistribution and it wasn't necessarily participated in navy wide right um when i was a detailer we did cpo redistribution for submariners Mm-hmm. Um, other parts of the communities didn't always do that because you could be at a, like on a carrier where there's thousands of people and you can make chief and you don't even have to leave. Right. Uh, but on a submarine, 99 times out of a hundred, you, it was time for you to transfer, right? Cause there's already a chief in your division. Um, so recently, like I said, about two years ago or so ago, they, they came out with a Navy wide instruction called sustainment. And because of the way our manning works and the way our billets work now, right? When I look at a command, I can see the chief that's in the chief billet. I can see the first class that is assigned to the first class billet or job, whatever you want to call it. So whenever advancements happen, we actually have to go in and realign people. So hopefully there's billets that we can realign them to. Right. So when a second class makes first class, we're going to go take a look at that second class's command and say, hey, was there an available first class billet on that command? Because if so, I can realign that second class into the first class job. And now I can worry about filling a second class job instead of having to worry about a a first class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the big thing with sustainment, like we talked about earlier, is we want people doing the job that the Navy is paying them to do. So when you become a chief petty officer, we want you to go somewhere and do a chief petty officer job. Now, 
we cannot force sailors to go beyond what, what is called a max sea tour. So 10 years, no. I can't force anybody <laughs> to go to 10 years of sea duty. So, so but, with that really quick, I do uh, have... I believe so, and I'd have to relook at the instruction. When I was a detailer, the max sea tour for all of our like, submarine ratings, and I believe it was Navy White at the time, was actually five years. I have a um, weird bad example, but he was a cross rate. He came from a surface rate, finished sea tour, got PTS into a submarine rate back when PTS was a thing, and then he got picked up for submarine rate and immediately got sent to sea because that's what we do in the Navy. Uh, and so his complaint was that he definitely spent like eight years at sea forced, but I tried to explain that it didn't count because he, he cross-contaminated and it doesn't count anymore. But anyways... Well, I will tell you that I, I guarantee there was a lot. There was a hard look at that sailor, specifically. Okay, hey, when did they get to shore duty? How much time were we cutting off of their shore duty? Yeah. You know, not only that, but is I mean, there's a lot of things that go into play when you're gonna when you're gonna get somebody and write them orders just because they advanced, right? Are they staying in area? Um, how long have they been on shore duty? Are we authorized to pull them early from that shore duty and send them back to sea? Yes. Do we want chief petty officers going back to sea and be, being an LCPO and doing that job? Absolutely. But there's a lot of rules out there that say, hey, you can or you cannot do this. And it just depends on the sailor and where they're at in their career. Um, yeah. If they're on sea duty, we can transfer them to another sea duty. Uh, which is ideal, but we also have to take a look at where they're at in their sea tour and exactly what is the limit that we can force them to with regards to sea time. I think right. as a chief petty officer, your max sea tour is actually 72 months, so it's six years instead of five years, which is like E6 and below. I'd have to go verify that information. But so if you're already at three and a half years of sea duty, when you make chief, yes, I can cross deck you or write you orders to another sea duty, but right. I can only write you basically to finish out to your max sea tour, which would be just over two years left, right. which is fine. We'll send you somewhere, you do your two years, and then you can roll to shore if you want. Um, if you're on shore duty, how long have you been there? Can I pull you that early? What command are you at? Am I authorized to pull you early from that command? Like, we'll say you're at sub school. Sub school is an instructor tour. That is a 36-month required tour. If I want to pull you early, I have to get concurrence from the losing commands. I have to call sub school, and they have to tell me, yes, we can support this guy leaving. Right. Uh, but I we also can't. have to look at, you know, I also have to look <laughs> at the command that you're at and say, is there a chief billet that I can put you in? If not, then I still might be able to transfer you, but maybe I'm just transferring you to another shore duty in the area that has an available chief billet to fill. Um, so there's all those types of things that we have to take into account. But yes, we look at every single person that advances the chief petty officer, and we consider whether or not we can, where we can put them into a chief billet. Yeah. So, so, so with what you said, with their, with their concurrence, with all that stuff, right? So my question on that is, so I'm a year and a half in, well, two parts of it. So examples, at least I'm a year and a half into shore duty and I make chief. What is that? Like, what are the odds that I'm going to a, 
a sea duty or what are the odds that I'm going to finish out where I'm at? So a lot, a lot of that is dependent on your rate and the needs of your rate. Um, that's why I say we have to look at every sailor and we have to look at that situation, right? Um, let's say as a submarine rate, and let's say we're doing, we have a very healthy community and we are doing just fine on sea duty. So if we don't have that many sea duty billets to fill, then maybe I don't have to try to pull you early. Maybe I can allow you to finish your shore tour because I don't have the need at sea right now. But on the other hand, if we're a fire control technician and I've got 22 billets that need to get filled in the next six months, maybe I've only got five or six currently chief petty officers on shore duty that are ready to roll back to sea duty. And maybe I'm making 16 chiefs from this cycle. Well, when you look at the numbers, there's a good chance you're going to be pulled early to go back to sea because sea duty is the priority. And because there is no way to fill that billet without using you. So, there's no, there's no hard, fast guarantee that you're going to be pulled early from shore duty to go back to sea duty. But it all depends on the needs of your rate and the health of the community. So, so tell me how wrong I am on this. Up? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so tell me how wrong I am on this uh, mindset because somebody's explaining that that's basically what happened to them, right? They went to shore duty. They were there for a year. They made chief. They rolled back to sea but they'd already done like back-to-back sea tours, some something ridiculous, right? Like all they wanted was shore duty and they, they got shafted out of it. And I try, I, I could be 100% wrong and tell me if I am, but I had said that at some point they had more or less agreed to go back to sea because I said that there are maximums that they can, the Navy can force you to see. Right, the Navy can't send you to sea for twenty years and then tell you to retire and never send you to shore. Like that doesn't exist. Right. It's not possible. And and that's the only way that that would happen to somebody is if they will or knowingly or not they agreed to that, which means they volunteered to go back to sea. Because you can volunteer to go to sea for twenty years straight, and if the Manning meets that, and you know all those other wickets, right? Theoretically, you yep. could do that if you volunteered for it, but the Navy couldn't force you to go that way. They couldn't force you to go to sea for 20 years straight if you didn't want to. So That's correct. So to some extent, my, my explanation was like, well, you went back to sea. You know, yeah, you did seven years at sea because you split toured and some whatever other reason you did back-to-back sea tours. You went to shore duty and then you made chief you know, nine months or a year in, and then you went back to sea somewhere in there, you accepting that that's because you did that. The Navy, you know, and again, that could have been sold as this is your only option. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that they didn't, they weren't told that this is what they had to do. But my thought is at, on some, somewhere on paper, some, a detailer, whoever was able to justify it and go, well, you volunteered for it. You said you would do it. So you volunteered and that's where you're going. But that's not reality, I guess, in my head. Like reality is that 
you you volunteered to go do this knowingly or unknowingly, but they can't just send you to sea forever. No, yeah, absolutely. And there's and there's rules and there's guidelines when those results come out and how we detail or you know distribute those new chief petty officers. And we do have to look at okay, hey, when did they get to shore duty? How long have they been on shore duty? And are we authorized to move them? So maybe they were there for a year and a half, you know, because when people tell a story, they, you know, sometimes you can massage the numbers to make it look a certain way, but maybe you're at, maybe you are at a year and a half, but then we go mm-hmm. ahead and write you orders, but you're not transferring for six months. So by the time you leave shore duty, you got two years. And yes, we were authorized to pull you a year early from shore duty to send you back to sea. But when you tell the story, you don't tell the story in the way that's like, man, I only got a year on shore duty when in all reality you ended up with two, you know? And so people, people will kind of tell their story in the way that the kind of the whole poor me idea, you know, and don't get me wrong. There's some detailers out there who will try to pull up. I hate to say it, but they will tell you a certain thing. Oh no, you're required to go do your LCPO tour now. There is right. no documentation that requires that to happen. But at the same time, like if the sailor doesn't end up doing the research themselves to find that out or go ask the questions from their command or their command career counselor, and they effectively allow the detailer to do that to them, you know, as bad as it is, like that has happened. Right. You know, yeah, and so I, there's a lot of oversight here, but when you think about the number of names that are on the chief selection list this year, when you're talking about what do we make, we make three to four thousand chief petty officers in a year. I mean, there's a, there's oversight to the redistribution or the sustainment process, but people don't always have the time to dig in the weeds on every single distribution that we make. And so when you look at things like when you're when it comes to your desk and you got to look at a hundred different people that are being distributed because they made chief petty officer, you're looking at, you're looking at the headline. You're taking a look at things from a glance and saying, okay, Hey, does that look on the up and up? Yes, it does. Does that command need a sailor? Yes, they do. All right. That looks good. Next. Right. And so, you know, it may happen, but people have to take the time to stand up for themselves and if they can, if they can find the documentation that says, "Hey, man, like I just got here, you're not authorized to rotate me until X date," they can call the detailer on that and say, "Hey, you guys messed this up, and I need you to fix it." And if the deep, sometimes the detailers will, they don't want our, their pride to get hurt, and they'll fight it tooth and nail. And sometimes you do, like you may have to go to your chain of command and say, "Hey, they are doing this wrong, and it's not fair to me, and you have to get your command involved." I feel like that's one of the things that could benefit from what I was kind of harping on earlier. It was like, I guess, how do you, how do you miss the, like, Hey, I've only been here this long and you're not off. Cause if it, if it's like a, you're kind of doing me wrong, but it is technically authorized, then it is what it is. Needs of the Navy, you know, cry on someone else's shoulder. But if it's no, no joke, like unauthorized, is there? How does the screening process not catch that? Who is held accountable? 
I know you're saying there's a lot well, of volume, it, but I mean, I feel like that would just be a really simple filter of like, does this meet the requirement or not? No, absolutely. But it could just be something as like, maybe there was operator error when they were filling in that Excel spreadsheet to say, Hey, okay. here's all the jobs gotcha. that need to get filled this cycle. Yeah. You know, um, there, there, there's a, a whole number of reasons that right. due to no fault of somebody, you know, may, like I said, it could just been a fat finger. It could have been an error, an error yeah. when, gotcha. you were pull, okay. when you were pulling a report from the system. Not malicious um, intent. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And, but I mean, mistakes I, happen and you just, sometimes you have to be willing to stand up for yourself, you know, or hopefully you got people in your command that are willing to make those phone calls and say, Hey, I think you guys got this wrong. Can you take another look at it? I think a lot of this, like, uh, throughout this whole conversation though, one of the big things that I've, at least I've kind of taken away or I didn't at least already know just from knowing you for so long is I feel like people, sailors don't realize that they have or should have as much power as they do. Like a lot of these situations, right? It's like, well, you need to call the detailer and explain to them, this is what's going to happen, or this is what you need to have, or you want to happen. Right? Like, again, there's, there's still going to be a, you know, the Navy's needs take priority, but like, you know, the missions needs of manning the Navy, but like that, that, that priority or that, that forcefulness of like, Hey, this isn't right. Or, Hey, I think I'm getting screwed or this is what should happen or shouldn't happen. Right now, it's easy for, you know, the two of you, like two senior chiefs and me as a chief to say, I will call and say, Hey, Dan, you know, especially because like my current detailer, I know him, we were on shore duty together last time. You know what I mean? Like, and obviously I know Tony, who's also in Millington. Mm. I know other people. So it's like, I can, I can throw the flag when I think he's lying to me or, or whatever the case is. And I have that ability. Right. But if, if you're a random third class, second class, just, you're somebody you're you're an a b you know in some massive rate in the navy and you're calling trying to say something the detailer who's like one of four detailers for your rate and they're going hey man sorry all i got you got to go back to c i know that that's what the ladder says but you're stuck going to c like how likely is that person to say like no man that's not that's not how this works at all like they don't know any better. It's their first time I, yeah, interacting with a like detailer. The, they don't know what's. They don't have the, the the confidence in themselves to say to like to throw that flag and say like you're yeah. you're full of it, dude. Like no, this is what. But there's there's Manning. Like there should be involvement by some. And I like uh, scalability is going to make it more difficult all the time because that's just how human organizations work. But yeah, yeah, yeah. like it if we're doing CPO redistribution and I'm Cobb of USS whatever, and, and somebody's detailing one of my sailors that's only been on board for 12 months back, or whatever, like I, let's say we're on short duty on CMC. Cause that would, that's where this error would happen. Like, and they're trying to pull them back to see six months after the guy checked in. Like I'm immediately going to red flag that on my end of it, regardless of if it's just a spreadsheet error, like somebody fat finger something in Millington, like, there's there should be some kind of awareness at at least a department chief level, if not the the CMC's level on CPO Manning to say hey no like and get involved and do something about that. But if not, I would expect somebody that just made chief to be willing to walk into that person's office and say hey like I've tried because if it's like you would hope how like getting pulled from shore duty early kind of the same thing. I would expect their chief 
to freak out. Like, even if it's a brand new division chief at the division chief level, like, if there's one thing, even if you could, even if it's like some caricature of a bad chief that isn't isn't doing all the things they're supposed to do, the one thing that's going to get that person out of out of their chair freaking out is losing Manning. Well, I mean, like, everyone loses loses their mind about that. So I would think using using myself as an example, though, Mm -hmm. I had the flip side of that. Right, I was. I had already, I had orders to go to shore duty. I was set yeah. to, I made chief. And then on my way out, basically everybody above Tony had basically said like, you are doing the dumbest thing ever. You need to go back to sea. Now, granted, well, nobody professional ever. Professional development though, right? Yeah. So nobody had ever, chief. yeah. Nobody had ever yeah. made that phone call or done it, gone that far. Right. Right. And if they did, I would have lost my mind at that point. I, I mean, I'm, lucky everybody in all parties involved are lucky that that didn't happen <laughs> but uh it wouldn't have helped me at all but i lost my damn mind but um but i definitely had so but my point was more of like imagine somebody does make that phone call and says hey i know this person is supposed to go to to shore because they were here and that's where they're supposed to go and whatever that's the way the rotation works but I'm telling you that you need to send them to sea for that. And they don't have that like, yeah, you're looking out for the sailor, but you're looking out for a different part of them. You know what I mean? You're looking out for their professional, their long-term, their career. You want to expedite their advancement, whatever the case is, right? Mm-hmm. But even that bothers me because that's when you say stuff like that, you're going to the presumption that nobody from shore duty advances. Like you can't, yeah, but I, you can't make like, senior chief from shore duty because you have to be at sea that, yeah, to go I, get those wickets met, right? So like you, clearly nobody on the advancement list for eight was on shore duty, right? And, which obviously is not true, right? Which tells me that literally like you can make it any rank at any station that you are at at any duty mm-hmm. station that you're at if you are doing the right things, right? They're still looking yeah. for the same wickets. They don't say we're looking for sustained superior performance unless you're at sea in which case we just want to make sure that you're qualified dive like that's yeah, not a thing I well i'm i think what they're when they're ag- advocating for that path they're more advocating for you could make senior chief faster and you'll be more competitive and you'll you'll be you know what i mean like you'll but does you're that gonna... person deserve it do they should they be a senior chief faster like when somebody no, is a, well, you're like think about you're... it you're looking at a first class who literally just got results like Likely Mm -hmm. when you're having that conversation, they're not even pinned yet, right? So you're looking at a chief select and you're trying to tell them that this is what they should do to be a senior chief? Like that seems insane to me. This person hasn't even had a chance to to sink or swim as a chief. I'm not disagreeing with you and saying that that's what they should do and that I should be encouraging those things. But it's like if you were talking about how the existing construct works – and what they look at, if that sailor that we're talking about is not qualified dive and the, or duty chief and chief of watch or whatever, because um, like I had it, so I had my last LPO was a second class. He was a first tour sailor, right? But he was he's incredible, and he came in the navy a little late, so he was like 26, 27 when he was working for me. Right. So he's a lot more mature, a lot more capable, just further along in development uh, than a normal second class that was 21 or 22 would be, generally. So he lit the world on fire on this submarine and I was pushing him really hard to qualify chief of the watch 
while he was on the submarine before he left because it's an important thing and he already had LPO at sea and we had done really well and he had done really well. So I'm like, when you go to shore duty, you just got to worry about crushing it on shore duty. But if you get mapped to first, as soon as you get to shore duty, you're going to get looked at for chief before you go back. Mm-hmm. And I, like it, you, you have to get back to the submarine, check in, you're going to be the LPO. Then you got to spend the next year if you're on a, especially if you're on a, d- a different class of submarine, relearning everything. Cause that's what happened to me. I went from class to class to class. So it's like, I had to, I, it was like 75% getting my dolphins again. Yeah. So no, to, like, you're the relearn. most submariner. We get it. We <laughs> shut up. We had to <laughs> relearn everything. So it's like, I took, it was painful and it took, it took a lot of time. So there's a nut, there could be one or two or three looks at chief that go by during this period of time where I'm still punching those, those wickets, right? Where if that sailor goes back to sea earlier, instead of finishing his whole shore duty, he's going to have the time to spend that year qualifying, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe it's his first or second look at chief instead of his third or fourth or whatever. And I think that like, it's it's a conversation that should be had through a more mature lens of the consequences of, right? So like, yes, you will be able to punch those wickets, but it also like your family's not going to have as much time with you. You're not going to have as much time to decompress. Maybe you don't get that college degree that would have put you over the edge. There's like, it's a balancing act. Like, I don't think it's something that should be the default setting where if a sailor makes chief on shore duty and they've only been there for six months, my immediate statement is you need to go back to sea. No, like, punch but all the senior chief the problem, the problem with to... that though, too, is that you're giving a lot of objective credit to a, subjective person right so the uh, the, it's not no but so here's follow me with this the person that's giving you that advice right could have a million things going through their head where they go well i did nine years at sea in a row and that's why i'm where i'm at and you should be doing the same thing if you want to get to that point it could or you have people that tell you oh well if you don't follow your ladder and the career path that's that's laid out by the navy you're only hurting yourself right and yeah. a prime example is look at Tony, right? That's yeah. sitting here on the phone call is he's a senior chief now who's been a career submarine radio man. And like how many tours as a submarine radio man have you done, Tony? What was that? I'm sorry. How many career, how many tours in your career have you done as a submarine radio man? One. Exactly. Right. And he has made it yeah. to a senior chief right. at but, 20 years, you know, like so there's, an there's people that don't even path, make it to blah, chief blah, blah. in yeah. 20 years. I, I'm with you. Like, but what I'm for no, people no, that well, are, let me, are let me, on let me a traditional in. career path. Go ahead. So I will admit that I think that my, my advancement is slower than average because I've chosen a non-traditional path. Slower right. now, as a senior chief. I believe. I believe slower that as a submariner, a... not as a not across the navy. And the only reason I quantify right, yeah. that is as that this is not chief. a submarine so specific as, as podcast. Submarine well, that Absolutely. that and mo- the, like let's if we're being honest with each other with with each other and everyone that's listening, most people don't make senior chief. No, so it's not even most people retire at twenty years without ever having put a star over their anchor. So it's or like, any acres. I, and, and yeah, sure. And I'm not even saying like, I, like I'm not saying Tony's not like an exception to the rule because I don't think that it's a rule. But I do think that I, had Tony done a, t- a traditional career path, being Tony and doing like excelling like I know he would have, and and doing the things I know he would have, he probably would have advanced faster because of the type of duty is 
Like if you think about it, because if I would have qualified dive on the sub, oh, I, I, was on, I was on with Tony, I would have been a senior chief way earlier. But I didn't because I wasn't afforded that opportunity, and we can talk about that later. But you but, still put on a star before I put on anchors. Right, but... So, so here's what I think what we need to get at, though, right? Yeah. Is It's our job, like, say as a chief petty officer, as a senior chief petty officer, when we have those young guys that are making E5, E6, mm-hmm. eventually, yeah. hopefully, making chief petty officer... Right. It's our job to guide them, to provide the mentorship, to educate them on on how to on how to promote. What's the best route to promotion? It's our job to educate them on that and provide recommendations because we are their mentors. Now, it is not our job to make the decision for them. We should not be calling the detailer and saying, hey, I know Bob just got orders to shore duty. But you need to send him to an LCPO at Sea Village. Yeah, no, that is overstepping bit. our boundary. Yeah, yeah. but we I should think... be making those recommendations yeah. and then allowing those sailors to make the decision on their own. Okay, if the yeah, Navy's going to give like... them an opportunity to still execute shore duty orders because their community can support it and that's what they want, yeah. then allow them to do that. But they yeah. go to shore duty knowing there's a good chance yeah. that they are going to delay promotion because of that decision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I hesitate to even call it a recommendation. It's like, just educate them with the information. But it's I, I would always say, it's like, look, man, what do you want? Yeah. Because if you want, if your goal is to light the world on fire, advance as fast as possible and make as much money as you can, regardless of the consequences. Don't ever go to then, shore. Okay, yeah, damn the torpedoes <laughs> full speed ahead. Like, we'll just keep you at sea, volunteer you for projects, or volunteer you for some special short duty. If not projects. Be, whatever. You get my point, though. Like, because you, you say not projects. For a guy like me, like, I can only go to one place. I mean, two, if I go to shore duty. But it's like, yeah. when I went there, that, that was a big deal to a lot of people in my community that I went there, and everybody knows that I was that guy. So it's like, that probably helped me at some you point. You could have been a White House cook. Uh, that's not the same thing, but either way, so it's not, it's, it's it not sounds, special it projects. Sounds like it is, but it isn't. It's special it's actually, program. It's not projects, though. Anyway, it's not projects. I was, I was at sea, so I was I was at sea doing the same job as everyone else, but I was on projects. You know, I was in projects, so it's like yeah. it's just different. But it, well, I will it's tell not... you this though, right? So part part of this conversation is about NPC and it's about detailing, mm-hmm. and along with like I talked about being a chief petty officer, a senior chief petty officer, providing that guidance. It was my job as a detailer to provide that guidance to these people as well. Right. You know, right. and it, it was like I had a chief that was on shore duty, and we had a type 2C duty come up that was not a submarine LCPO job, right? Yeah. They were getting an opportunity to go to spec war and work with Navy SEAL, mm, and yeah. that is sea duty. Now, it was still my job to tell that chief who was at, on shore duty when he was rotating back to sea. I'm like, hey, man, I can select you to this job, and I, I have no problem doing that. But I need you to be aware that in our community, if you don't go back to a submarine and you're not doing an LCPO at sea job, it is going to be more difficult for you to advance to senior chief. Right, And this I is a guy that I made chief with. I think I you know, know who but, that dude is. Is he a senior chief right now? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I've, I've lost okay. touch with we'll, him ever since I, we'll I did that. Drop, we'll drop, and that was yeah. back in like 2015. 
Right. We'll drop um, names after we stop, but I'm pretty sure I work with that guy right now. But go ahead. Yeah. But you know <laughs> what? Like, it was just my job to educate him and yeah. allow yeah. him to make that decision. And he said, you know right. what, man? I want to go to Hawaii. I'm from Hawaii. Yeah, I'm blah, 100% blah, blah. This is the I know. best place. <laughs> and I'm 100% I said, okay. now. And I just told him, I said, well, hey, man, yeah. that is your decision. Yeah. You are. You can apply for the billet. And if you're the best choice that I have when it comes time for selections, I'll select you. I just yeah. need you to make that informed decision. And yeah, he yeah. says, yep, I got it. I stand informed. Yep. I'm applying. And yeah. in the end, he got that job. But, yeah. again, it was just my job as a detailer to inform him, to kind of provide those recommendations yeah. and allow him to make his own decision. Yeah, it's an That's interesting... what we should be doing. Sailors should be taking sure. their own careers yeah. into their own yeah. hands as much as possible. And if they well, want to make good decisions that are better on a professional level, they can do that. But there's a lot of good decisions out there that are better on a personal level yeah, that there is absolutely nothing yep. wrong with making. And I, yeah. I'm 100% on board with sailors that want to like go experience something cool or go do something that they feel is important or whatever. And even if they know going in that, well, that's not a traditional career path, so it might affect your advancement. Like there's a lot of people I've talked to that just don't care. And like one of them was an NSW tech that I had on the podcast. And it was kind of the same thing where he was like, I want to be in this community. I want to be doing this job. And yes, I'm competing against surface. Yeah. Like whatever. I forget his raid. I think he, ET. Like, it was, I was going to say ET, but I wasn't sure. So he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm competing with surface ETs, but I have nothing that they have as far as quals and all this other crap. But I do have that I'm the LPO for this thing, doing these do, uh, in, spe in Naval Special Warfare, doing these things on deployment, blah, blah, blah. So it's like it's not like he's not doing anything, and it's not like his stuff doesn't get, doesn't get stacked up against their stuff. But based on the subjective nature of parts of the selection board, it might be slowing him down some. And it's like... He, he doesn't care in yeah. a way like he does, but he doesn't like, it's kind of like, look, if I got to choose between the two, which I think I shouldn't have to, but if I do, I'm choosing to stay in this community and do this job. And it's like, well, it, as long as he's educated, as long as he knows, well, that was, I mean, he, you know, that's the exact decision I made going back to project. Yeah. Like, right. I admitted right. earlier, I think projects, I, I think the career path that I've chosen may have slowed down my advancement, but mm. at the same time, if I could go back and do it all over, I would yeah. not have made a different decision because I have thoroughly enjoyed the places that I got to go and yeah. it was worth the wait, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a big thing that that's kind of what I was gonna say is that I feel like a lot of what happens is when uh again a lot of this is hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And especially for the two of you who have obviously made both made senior and I haven't, but um it's the when you have somebody who is a first class now coming up to you and saying, what should I do if I make chief, right? You have to look into that because they're looking for your advice, right? Obviously they have that. No, I don't know. A, I mean, I know they exist. I take that back, but I, I would say that a majority of people would say like, yeah, I want shore duty. Like who wouldn't want to be able to do their job, but like go home every night to, uh, and, and, I don't know, to be at home and to do where whatever, right? Be around their family, do yeah. what extracurricular, whatever, right? Um, there is definitely plenty of people that just love to be at sea all the time and that's awesome and that's great. And I'm not it's they're not you're not total unicorns for wanting that. I know plenty of people that are like that. But um 
my point is more of like when you go to that person and you ask for that advice, whether that's the detailer, your chief, whatever, right? I feel like they're going to project their shortcomings onto that person, right? Like if they were to come and, and I, I don't, I don't feel like that would be at all the answer with you, Tony, from talking to you in the past. But like, if, if I were to say like, Hey, if I make chief, I'm halfway through my short tour, what should I do? I feel like there are plenty of chiefs out there who are going to go, if you want to make senior, you need to go back to C. That's the only answer you should have, right? You need to go back to C. Maybe, yeah. And there are plenty of people who are going to, you know, there's definitely going to be some chiefs out there who are going to say, well, what do you want? And they're going to ask other family and yada, 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 right? And what's, where are you at in life? But there's definitely going to be some people who are look, who look at it as promotion over everything. And that's, kind of the feeling that i got when i made it i was at the end of a four-year sea tour and i was at my three-year point but they were like you need to go what like what are you doing applying for shore duty why why would you go to shore duty you have to go back to a boat you have to go you have to go to your chief's tour that's crazy to me and it was like and and i basically at that point like they could have told me anything and i probably would have done the opposite yeah um just because of where i was at at that point with them and with my career but it was like no i'm going to shore duty um like i you can tell me one shore duty over another but like you could you could tell me there's a a a winning lottery ticket at the end of a season (laughs) and i wouldn't do it yeah i told you to beat feet i'm going to shore duty dude i've been like that my whole career where it's like when i get done i almost after projects i almost went to a gn because I didn't like the shore duty options and there was an yeah. SDIP at the time and I had just gotten divorced and so I yeah. didn't really care. And SDIP, I was like, man, they throw money at you. So yeah, here's, here's one of the things though, really quick, that I will always say, every time somebody brings up SDIP or any kind of yeah. money, the world does not throw money at anything that does not suck. Sure. I knew I knew exactly what I was getting into but I, I and I had a lot of conversations and what was interesting was the mentors I had all told me that, especially based on the boat I was coming off of, they were like, dude, you need to go to shore duty. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean, like they were just like, you, like you need to decompress. And then it's like, if you spend a year on shore duty and you still want to go back, then go back. But it's, it's not, I don't know, because I was even looking at shore duties like uh, pushing boots and and same. I contacted a buddy of mine that was the number one EP chief at RTC, and he's like, "Do not come here." <laughs> like he's like, "You will blow your brains out." He's like, "It's stressful. You're already coming off a super stressful command." He's like, "It's you're not. It's not shore duty. It's RTC. Like you need to get a shore duty where it's like at least reasonable." And you're not going to be burning the candle at both ends and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So I ended up at the A school, but yeah, I was, I almost did it. There's a lot of that. We, we can make yeah. recommendations. We can, you know, in yeah. the end, I mean, I think the, you leave it up to the sailor, you give them as yeah. much information as you can. And it, I mean, and sometimes they may not even have that choice. It all depends on what their sure. community sure. needs and what NPC is going to do if they have enough time left at sea, they can be forced to go to sea, you know, but there are rules and restrictions as to if we're going to put people from shore duty, how early can you do it? Um, and then with sea duty, you can only extend them so long at sea 
before you need written authorization from a sailor to go beyond a certain point. Right. So, and I think once you, I mean, like I said, we all started this with when I make chief or, you know, if my name's on the list, what can I expect? You know, by the time you make chief petty officer, you you should feel comfortable enough to where you can call your detailer you for can sure, explain to them sure. the situation and what what it is your desires are moving forward, and yeah. hopefully, in the end, hopefully, with what what you want lines up with what they need from you. And for, I, yeah. that's the ideal situation. As as like slight foreshadowing into the the future series of episodes that you have coming up, when you say that when you make chief, you should have that ability or that confidence or whatever to be able to make that phone call and say, "This is what I want." or this is what I'm doing, right? Obviously not everybody does, right? There's different stages of yeah, when people get yeah. it and so on and I, so forth, right? But, but but that is like so that that's like a good freebie, and I, I you, guess, for those yeah. who who potentially get results in a couple of months of like right. or in a month or two of like you you as soon as those results come out, you your mindset should shift and your mindset it should. should be It should. And here's the thing, man, this like is as me. I, as I started going down the road of, of preparing, and, and it's, we're talking about a bunch of episodes I'm going to do for teaching to the creed. I'm going to uh, try to make like a supplement slash check all the boxes during a podcast discussion so that it, in the unlikely event, somebody could actually get a CMC to sign off on it. Then they could just use the podcast almost as like a primary delivery method in the COVID environment. But I don't expect that to happen. I just, ex- it could be like a supplement to where, you know, they're, they're doing it remotely via teams, but they're like, Hey, yeah, we listen to this podcast discussion. And what did you get from that kind of thing? Cause it could, it could, I, I hope that the next by the end thing. of it, no, I hope that by the end of it, that it could add a lot, but it's one of those things where it's like, I was talking to Nick, um, he's an EOD chief that I do some podcasts with and we were yeah. talking about that kind of stuff. And it was a very initiation focused discussion. And part of it was like the, and, and I was talking to my CMC about building the season structure, and it was like, they, there's a memo from the MCPON going around, and it, if you haven't seen it, it, there's a portion of it that says that all additional like mess training for the selects that's in addition to teaching to this creed, because of the compressed timeline and unique nature of the season this year, should be cons- considered extraneous, meaning don't do it. Right. Um, so, and I looked at that and, and to me, I was already building the plan after I got that memo and I was sitting there to myself thinking, and, and my CMC made the counterpoint of like, we get to decide what's extraneous. So that doesn't necessarily mean don't do it. It just means don't overburden them or whatever and focus. The right. primary focus is teaching of the creed. Yeah. So I'm now I'm digesting that curriculum and I'm looking at it like, what, when am I going to do? Cause I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent in the past of all the egg division stuff, which do, you get to do a divo notebook and you get to, okay, your sailors UA do a report shit and do, you're, you're going to do an eval and you're going to do a 1650 and you're, you know what I mean? So they get to go through the motion of doing those assignments, turn them in. And then I can sit like grade them basically like go through, mark them up and sit down with that selectee and go through it. And so I'm saying, I'm like, when are they going to learn how to do all these things? And then I'm like, I should have taught them that during the last 360 days. Like, (laughs) of course. So it's like, I think there's a lot of it that's like, I I got, at first I was like, oh no. But then I was like, well, they probably should know this already going in. So maybe do a better job of (laughs) of developing our first classes. But they don't Uh, always know that or have that. Yeah, I'm with you, but I... 
that and I'm not talking specifically to the point that you were making of they should have the ability to walk into their CMC's office and say I need your help with detailing but no, just talk which to I their detailer and say this yeah. is what I want no, like, I mean there are detailers out there that are master chiefs that are going to not care at all what a new chief is complaining about but are they master right? chiefs on do they sign my eval no but and that's the, I, but what I mean is that's the mindset that I don't feel like a lot of people have is like yes you're master chief yes you deserve the rank and respect or the respect that your rank deserves and and so on and so forth right but like your rank also does matter to some extent and i'm not just saying I mean, as a chief yeah, i'm saying I'm, it's like a third class you're a human right. being you deserve I'm, to be able to call that person the same as anybody I'm not else saying, i'm not saying they shouldn't call them i'm saying i'm looking at it like if if somebody's being a knucklehead and forcing a guy back to see or whatever where it's like they need intervention to right. to enforce some kind of a rule in a book that they're yeah. it, they're just telling this third class to shut up and color it's like okay i need help and i've i've had that happen where it's like either either they couldn't get him on the phone or he's telling them stuff i knew to be not true or whatever and Detailer my ls2 always answers yeah my ls2 is is getting told something that i know is bs and then i call the detailer and i'm like hey why are you telling my ls2 this like, show me the instruction, because I'm looking at a Milpers Man article, and that's not real. He's like, oh, that's not what I said. I said this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, bro, I'm reading your email right now. <laughs> and so it's like, it's a different conversation when I call than when LS2 calls. And so, because that guy can force things down LS2's throat, but luckily I had an LS2 that was willing to come tell me, hey, senior, I need help with this. And so that's the conversation that was had. And it's it's a very different, even if it's chief to chief or or chief to a, like a first class to a first class even, it's like, it's a different conversation. And for me, I think with chiefs, it's especially with chiefs. Like if a chief calls a chief, it's a, it's a going to be a, a different whole conversation. Episode. Yeah, that's a whole other is. episode, which <laughs> absolutely right, well. right, wrong or otherwise, that's a right, whole right, right. other episode, which We've I'm willing to do with road. you for sure. However, I, I yeah. very much understand where I've had phone calls from our detailer uh, within the last month, who is also a chief. Um, again, I worked with him last time I was here, but like he called me up and basically said like, Hey man, you're, you have a student that called me about something. And it was, he was almost like, why is he calling me? Why didn't his instructor call me? And I, and like when he said that, I just kind of laughed and I was like, well, I mean, it's like, it's his orders. It's not the instructor's orders. He doesn't care. Yeah. Not that I he mean, doesn't I... care, but like he has his orders. It's this kid. Yeah. If this kid is, 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 uh, not ballsy enough, but you know, like if he's confident enough to, to call yeah, you up and say man, like, Hey like... man, I disagree with like, this is what I wanted and you didn't give it to me. Then you know what? Like good for, I, I bet but you I'm... that kid will be it, more successful. Student... <laughs> Students aren't negotiating orders though. So They're not. Like that's, pro that's probably why he had his, but like... if he's confident enough to call up the detailer that's and say no. something's Shut wrong, up, go talk to your instructor. This isn't how this works. And in this, it's in not the that's... initial accession training pipeline. I'm with you. It that's what I said. But I said but that like... that kid that called you up is going to be very successful him. in his yeah, career. He'll be fine. He's obviously going to be the squeaky wheel. <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell you what, the detailer should have been able to answer that kid's questions no problem, and he should yeah, have had no problem day. with it. Yeah. And if he don't like that a student's calling him, he needs to look himself in the mirror at some point and check it. Well, I mean, I again, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I don't know what the conversation content was, but I, he might Me have either. done that 
and then called that chief and be like, hey, like, did you guys not explain to your students that they're not negotiating orders? Because, like, I might make that phone call if I was him. Like, look, anybody can call me, but it's like a student isn't negotiating orders. A student, it's like, because they send, like, a package of orders to the A school, or in this guy, I mean, it might be best. I don't know if people are going in that order anymore no, nowadays. But, the, or in A yeah, school, like, so but anyways. Our A school students would show up, and it's like, this kid's going to surface. It's like, we just got handed a stack of orders and uh, like they had names slated in already and everything like the detail yeah. just handed us a stack of orders. And so it's like, you're not negotiating, you're getting handed orders for your first set. And it's just like, we, I don't even think they did dream sheets at RA school. Like in best when I went, I know I filled out a thing that said, I'd like to go here, but, but yeah, if you, just, but it doesn't that, I mean, again, devil's advocate, but doesn't that seem crazy? If you could theoretically meet, say there's 80 people in a, in a school, but, Mm-hmm. They all want to go, and you have eighty billets that you got to fill, probably more than that. Uh, uh, if you have that many people, and you can make them all happy, why wouldn't you? Like, what's crazy to me is the amount of people that I have that are uh, either order swaps or rate swaps prior to me, right? Because so in in our yeah. office there there's three uh, radio specific people. One guy is a chief who he. Uh, is the chief of a pipeline or a, a course that is not uh, radio or ITS specific. So yeah. he actually teaches like three other rates. And the amount of people that come to us asking like, hey, I wanted to be a, an FT, but I got picked for ST. And then my buddy here is the opposite. And we just want to submit this shit to swap our rates, right? Yeah. And And sometimes that gets pushed back, which blows my mind. Um, I'm, but I don't yeah, know I'm, enough about the, the nitty nitty gritty. Uh, I yeah, I don't either, but I'm surprised that it even gets entertained. Just I know the whole, like, I feel like everybody would do it and then you're just drowning in this. But why wouldn't it? Of, but I'm like not, you would, again, you would I'm made, not disagreeing with you. You had made the saying. counter argument earlier yeah. though, right? Like if you could right. make all those people happy, then why wouldn't you? Right. So if I right. have two people that are equal on all for, planes before they've even started their A right. school, and they want to swap, and every, they went to boot camp within a month of for, each other. Um, Why not swap like, them? For the whatever it's called, submarine electronics, whatever computers, yep. whatever it is. Um, do they not SECF. like ask? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah SECF. Do they not um, ask the question at the beginning and then just try to fit people in where they asked for? They kind do. Of thing, but and again, is, is it like a buyer's remorse thing that leads to all the swaps or is it just, like... uh, I mean, so we don't have tons of swaps that happen. We have a couple, oh, okay. like since yeah, I've so in the last rare, year like, and change that whatever, I've, or man. year that I've been here, it's been a couple of times. Right. Yeah. But we make it sound like it's this huge thing and God and country has to sign off on it. Right. Mm. And I'm look and I look at it at my level and knowing that there's more to it than that, but I still look at it and go, what does it matter if it says Timmy or David, right? Yeah. On this set no, of I, orders, right? They're the out, outside of their first, me, outside but, of their names. It's the exact yeah. same. They went to yeah. boot camp. That's the only, and they went to Bess. That's yeah. their only like naval credit <laughs> that they have, is that they exist in the Navy. So what does it matter? I'm like, I'm not setting anything yeah. back. I'm not extending somebody. I'm not changing a contract. Uh, yeah. No, there's I'm some told, lines. You're not. You don't gotta sell me, man. Like yeah, I don't. There's, I don't see any problem with it. There's the barriers. Only, there's barriers yeah, the only, that I exi- that I understand that exist, but like outside of those, and again, that's uh, that's more Tony's side than me. But like, I know that there there's got to be more to it, or it wouldn't be 
that big of a deal, right? We would have that ability to say, well, like, who's ma who's making it a big deal? Like, is it? No, it's just so. It's I think it's just the Navy. It's just uh, when I say the Navy, I just mean like paperwork, like a, right? There's okay. there's the right paperwork that you have to do, right? Because yeah, because everything, right? And and you've said it, and I think Tony has generally been a proponent of it from my interactions with him. But uh, when there when if there's a will, there's a waiver, right? Yeah. So like, if you want to do it, make the Navy say no. Do this. Put just in the paperwork. the paperwork. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like absolutely. Generally yeah. speaking, I feel like there's a lot of things that uh, people sailors. Uh, do not do that is a possibility, but they don't do it because it requires some legwork, right? So more specifically in a very tiny, tiny world that I'm in is with this rate merger, right? So yeah. I was an ET, then I was a nothing, then I was an ET, then I was an ETR, and then now I'm an ETS or an ITS rather, um, and then it's like ITS, EW, or comms, right? So right. they split our rate out. And with that, we you basically got to pick what you wanted. And then they did what they could. They tried to take what you wanted into account with your record and what you would, as far as the Navy benefits, what you would be best suited for and, and health of your the community and blah, 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 right? A million different factors that went into it. Yeah. And I spent, I don't even know how many hours worth of phone calls with the ECM on this and learned way too much. Um, <laughs> nice dude. And I will say that all you have to do is just call people up and ask yep, them and, and they'll ask. tell you yep. a lot of these things. Right. Um, and I got his phone number from Tony, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when I called up and asked, right. And I said, Hey, I've got a guy who, yes, according on paper, this is what he's suited for. But, since you know because he went to some c school when he was a seaman 10 years ago and now this does not at all jive like as far as relevant current sailor this does not jive at all with what he should be he yeah. does this does not make sense this is a bad fit he doesn't want it the navy shouldn't want it i get why he got picked that what does he have to do and he said just submit you know the paperwork to cross rate and uh and ultimately because of the, 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 without getting too many details, basically put in a 1306, put in a special request yeah. to, to go from one to the other. Right. Right. And long story short, we'll change them if it makes sense to the Navy. And I said, okay, well, what's the turnaround? How busy, like how many of those do you have? Because this is a ma major thing, right? There's like 1800 people throughout the Navy that they just told what they're going to do. And yeah. Out of those 1,800, I would bet that probably close to 1,000 are unhappy with what their answer was, you know? Yeah. And, like, I may be wrong on that, but I'm probably close to that number, you know? And uh, and so I said, well, what what's the likelihood if he does all this legwork, you know, like, are you going to tell me that 99.9% .9 chance it's going to be a no, in which case he's not going to waste his time on all this legwork? But he said, uh, with he said that for weeks, for the first two weeks, he had been nonstop phone calls of people complaining about what they got yeah. and how it was not what they wanted. Right. And he said, cool. Here, here's you know, the process. Do it. He, he yeah. He entertained packages. A, yeah. He entertained a phone call, but he basically, the long story short response was cool. Put in a package. Yeah. 
And I said, all right, well, how many do you have? What's the turnaround like on that? And three. No. At the None? at the two week part, he said, I have seen zero paper well, come yeah, across my yeah. desk. I'm shocked. And so I told the guy, he was standing there with next to me on speakerphone while I called this guy, right? Because right? I'm like, I'm not trying to hide anything. Yeah. And uh, and so he said, all right, what do I need? And he said, go look at these Milper's Man articles. And that's all I passed off. It was like literally Milper's Man articles. And he ran off. And then by 1.30. Yeah, I was going to say by thir- after lunch. He's yeah. like, I'm back. Sign yeah. this. No, right after lunch, he came back yeah. and said, hey, can yeah. you sign this so I can put this in? And I said, hell yeah. yeah. You know, I'm all aboard, man. Whatever you yeah. want. And he put it in and, and it's far as i know it got accepted i don't i haven't followed too right. much on him because he transferred he was part of why he was pushing so hard is because he was transferring so soon so he wanted to make it he wanted to get an input and submitted before he left and yada 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 but yeah but it was very much like oh no i'm done i i i did everything that everybody wanted me to do and it was like yeah of course you did like that's awesome but it's funny to me because i feel like a lot of people don't have that confidence to say like I'm going to put in a package. I'm going to do this paperwork. I'm going to call this person. I'm going to fi- I'm going to talk to the enlisted community manager, like the senior person of your rate who decides yeah. the health of your rate. I want you to call that person and tell me why I can't do what I wanted to do. Like right. not many people do that. Right. And no, that's awesome. And that's like that's a that was a quality that I saw and I went, "Yes, I am for sure going to help you out." And I get that like a lot of people don't know that and I've brought that up to people and I'm willing to to intervene on those for some of the more junior people that don't realize that that's an option available to them. But that's that's a thing that I feel like from talking about all this that more sailors I think don't realize is their, they don't take it as their, it's their career. I need to call the detailer. I need to make these because kind of like what Tony was saying earlier, does it really matter if the sailor called or if it's CMC called? Like It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But, but it commonly from, does. Yeah. Well, sort of. But kind of what it sounds like was more of like, hey, this person, somebody called about this person three times this month to make sure this is what they got. Yeah. And that sounds pretty important. And I don't feel like a lot of third classes, second classes or whatever are going to be the type of person to or like feel empowered or, or confident enough to call their detailer and say, Hey, this is what I want. And maybe right. it matters. Maybe it doesn't. Right. But I don't feel like there's a lot of people that are going to be in that position. Obviously it's easy for me and you at our point to say that, you know, like I could be my terminal pay grade. I don't know. But even if I am, I'm, I'm okay with that as long as I'm satisfied with my career and so I'm willing to make those phone calls and step on some toes if I have to, to, to get what I want or at least fight for what I want. But I don't know that like a third class is going to try to call and step on toes and, and upset somebody over what they want. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I just think that it's more, it's the thought, right? The idea of calling NTC or the idea of calling your detailer, right? Most people don't even, they think about that as it's almost like, you know, a surface ship, a third class isn't going to walk up and talk to the master chief, right? Like that just doesn't happen, right? There's so many levels in between type of things. And so I think the thought process is like, you're calling almost like this mythical place that you are not even worthy of calling. 
And I think people just, they, they have that idea. And so they're afraid to make those calls or they don't even know where to go to look to get the phone number or whatever the case right, is. Right. And people just need to realize that, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of chiefs that are detailers and stuff like that. But in the end, we're just a bunch of sailors who are, you know, I was a radio man and, you know, the guy that I sit next to is a is a yeoman, and then there's somebody else who's a ABH, and we're we're just all a bunch of sailors that got selected for this shore duty. And yeah, we had to go through a special screening, but I mean, you're not exactly you know, I'm not like it's not like calling up an admiral or something like that. Like I'm just a regular dude who's just doing a job. Yeah. And I think if people can look at us that way. You know, obviously, I don't need them to call and try to disrespect me and talk rude or anything, but right. they are just calling a, a, another person on the other side of that phone that they should be able to ask questions about with regards to their career. And, you know, in the end, anybody listening to this podcast, I hope that that's what they get out of this is it's okay to call NPC and ask questions and yeah. communicate with the people that are going to write your orders right. and let them know what your preferences are what you really want to do, what your career goals are and how, you know, if they can help you get there. Not, not just in, not just okay, but like encouraged that you call that person that you call NPC and say that. Cause it's yeah. not, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at is that it's like, there's, it's, there's not some scary barrier. There's not like, and again, that depends on the detailer, but ultimately it's like, and I feel like that's kind of a general uh, overarching theme of this entire podcast of all the episodes that I've listened to, um, which made me call in is that like, we're all just like, everybody's just a person, you know, like yeah. they all have their specific stories and whatever. Right. But like in a, in an ideal world, it's just people helping take care of other people. It's not a first class taking care of a third class it's just a you know timmy taking care of sarah or whatever you know it's it's you're just people taking yeah. care of people and that's how it should be and the funniest part about the intimidation factor is like i i say it a lot and it's in that vein is like our only job and our meaning chiefs like us our only job is taking care of sailors and if that sailor needs something and they call a detailer that's your primary duty in that moment is to take care of that sailor. Like that's, they're yours. That's the end user of your, of your uh, job as a detailer. And so it's mm -hmm. like, I would expect the type of response that Tony's been talking about this entire time. And I, and I hope that that's trained and championed there and that it's more common than it probably actually is. And like, it's like, that's, exactly what should be happening and that's what should happen all the time is like it's when i'm on the ship it's like my only job is to take care of sailors when i'm at my shore duty right now where i don't have a division it's just me on a flagstaff if a boat sailor comes up there or calls me and has a question that's my job like take care of that it's like and, and i you get those ones that are like the vocal ones and you know that like they're the go-getters i got a first class leading cs on a submarine that wants to just ask me a question and that actually it, like calls me which is intimidating because I'm an inspector. Like I'm the one that's going to come down and give him a grade on how he's doing his job. It's like that, that if they're going to call me and ask me for help or advice or what, ask me a question about the checklist or an inspection expectation or whatever, I'm going to go way out of my way to help them out. Cause I, I constantly encourage the waterfront to come get me and I'll come down to your submarine and 
like effectively give you the answers to the test because it's an open book test because there's a checklist and references on the checklist. So it's like it's not a secret what we're evaluating. Uh, Unless I'll, come your down, I'll come down there and yeah, I'll come down there and train you. <laughs> so it's like it, it, if they call up, that's our job. Like if they call up the detailer, that's our job. Like it's not. Yeah. There's no like yo. Well, how dare you call me? I'm a detailer. Like shut up. Like it's your job. You're a chief. I tell you what. That's <laughs> I know the first they're not class I want on my crew. Oh yeah, indeed. Like that's exactly what should like. I wish everybody was like that because it would make my job so much easier. Because then, you know, I get to help them out, train them, and then when I come down to the boat, it's like confirming that they downloaded what was trained, kind of thing. Like it's you already you already know what I'm gonna look at. We already talked about this. It's just me coming down and making sure you're doing it right. Like your that your day to day matches, you know, what's on the inspection checklist. That's it. That's all we're doing. There's nothing scary about it. I'm not come down here to destroy you because my daddy didn't hug me enough. Like I'm just coming down here to confirm that what's <laughs> on this checklist is happening. That's it. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> it was super fun. We had a lot of fun. Me and Bob were actually like texting each other while we were recording, just laughing at how much fun we were having. I hope that comes through and I hope the enjoyment is shared with you all instead of just sitting there watching us. It'd be idiots for three hours, but you know, it was fun. I'd do it again. <laughs> um, and I'm really glad we got to uh, catch up and then and just get all of that, like the detailing focus stuff out there. I got a little fired up, but it, that's what we do. That's how we have those conversations. And that's kind of what I want the not just the Ask the Chiefs, but even the Goats After Dark type episodes to be. Um, I mean, the Goats After Dark ones are more like us just shooting the breeze and being being kind of silly. But uh, these ones are topic focused when we do the ask the chief ones, even though I know I called it something else, but, um, I, <laughs> that's kind of what it's supposed to be. It's, that's how we talk sometimes is we, in the chief's quarters, uh, or chief's mess, like we call it a court, the quarters on, on submarines, but it's, it's what happens. It's like, we'll a topic will come up and we'll have a spirited conversation about it. And that's kind of what you saw happen. There was, he said some things where I was like, wait a minute, what? And I challenged him and he explained the things to me and, I mean, I kind of spun down, but it, I think some of it was like the way he was explaining it. I made it sound a way to me that I thought was pretty like unacceptable, but I, I don't think I was fully, I, I, I don't think I understood it all at first because he kind of looped back around later. Anyway, it was all all in good fun. Uh, love those dudes. Glad they were able to do it. Uh, if you have any questions about anything we discussed or just anything at all, need some help, want to tell me I'm a horrible interviewer, whatever, <laughs> hit us up. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the shit podcast. Or you DM me on Instagram or Reddit at DGS podcast. We also have subs. I'm active on our Navy, etc. So, you know, you can interact in all the different ways. Uh, working on getting a new site up. Hopefully by the time you hear this episode, the Squarespace site will be up. I will have a link to the Reddit sub on there as kind of like our forum. Uh, is so to make it easier for everybody to get to and find. And uh, hopefully the functionality of the website is much improved. But I, that's been a long time coming. I don't know what the hell was wrong with WordPress, but... Uh, if you're trying to get into the website game, I highly recommend not using WordPress. It, I mean, it worked for me for a while and it was free, but Jesus, like just, <laughs> I kept having issues over and over again and it's just maddening. And I'm at the point where I've gotten so many messages that the what damn website's not up that I'm just over it. I'm going to pay Squarespace and move on with life. So, uh, hopefully that's working. Uh, give us feedback on that as well. I mean, if you like the new website and, and it's working great for you, let us know. If not, let us know. <laughs> Um, hopefully 
I can get the store up and everything else. I'm going to wait to be, I plugged down the last one, but I think I'm going to wait uh, just until I know the functionality is actually working. Um, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 